Well, g'day folks, Steve here, and just before we kick off this, our 50th episode of Playing Crazy Down Under, a couple of notes about the production levels in this episode. We decided that being the end of the year and being the silly season between Christmas and New Year's, we decided to experiment a little bit this time, and we actually did this one as a live stream. We did it on Ustream. There was a couple of reasons for that, chief amongst which was to see if we were actually up to the task of performing live and uh, seeing how we would go with that. So uh, this is not perhaps the same highly polished uh, production that uh, we've come to be quite proud of here at PCDU. Uh, most of what you hear here is uh, exactly as it was recorded and that's including some of the segments and the Christmas greetings that our friends in the aviation podcasting industry sent us. We'd certainly appreciate your feedback on how you thought it went. That's playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com. So have a listen to this, our 50th episode, and enjoy. Southern Skies Online Media folks and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode number 50 of the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia Pacific point of view. Sitting here the day after the day after Christmas and still trying to digest all those huge lunches I've had, I'm Steve Fisher (laughs) and belching on the other side of the table is Grant McCarran. G'day mate. Hey, how you going mate? I'm very well. Merry Christmas and uh, 50 episodes. Uh, What an achievement. We'll say that anyway. Ho freaking ho. We got here. (laughs) We made it through Christmas. We got it to 50 and the really weird bit is that we're all sitting here looking at each other. This is most odd. I didn't realise you looked like that anyway. It's most disturbing. Normally I'm looking at pictures of aircraft and really cool stuff when I'm in recording and it's kind of odd to be here. Well, we've got, aircraft, we've got aircraft pictures all over this studio, mate. I'm trying to mate. distract myself with them, yes. <laughs> well, of course, uh, the PCDU studio here in Cranbourne is uh, not particularly large and uh, so it's a little bit squashy in here today, but uh, joining us also today from the Controller's Corner segment is Ben Ippolito. G'day, Ben. How are you? Welcome, mate. Welcome. Thank I you. trust you made your way safely out here from the other side of town. I did. It was a very long journey, but well worth it. Good, good. And, uh, of course, no uh, group session of playing crazy down, down under would uh, be complete without the infrequent flyer himself, Mr. Anthony Simmons. Hi, Anthony. Hi, I'm Anthony Simmons, <laughs> and this is the view from Steve's studio. Oh. Yes, it's almost Steve's lounge. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. No, but seriously, folks. And <laughs> But no, pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, Steve. And it's a little bit festive today. Of course, it's, it is the silly season and uh, we thought we'd uh, all get together and have a bit of lunch and, uh, well, everybody else is drinking wine and beer except for me because I've got to work tonight. But uh, Yeah, we've just got to drive. <laughs> so uh, this may not be as uh, tightly edited as most of our episodes. Uh, we are going to try and do this live to the drive. But uh, yes, well, we'll see how that goes when I listen back in post. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be editing, don't worry. I think there would be some serious editing. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have some air takes. Of course, we also have a fifth person here in the uh, in the studio who's being very quiet except for the sound of his shutter going off. Yeah, first time for everything. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the official playing Crazy Down Under photographer, Adam. You'll have to shout from the background, Adam. Hi, guys. How are we? There you go. He's lurking. You can't see him on camera. Can't we're actually live, on live streaming, streaming this. Yeah. Yeah, we're live streaming this. The for... reason why I'm behind the camera. Yeah, we may never do this again. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> 
There's uh, currently we have uh, how many people watching our live stream? One. Yes, <laughs> one. We have one person watching our live stream, and that's probably your computer in the games room. Yeah, we have 14 people watching. So whoever you are, I'm, I apologise in advance. There's 14 lunatics watching. What? Yeah, yeah. You mean to tell me that on the Boxing, or no, this is the Christmas Day public holiday, at least in Australia, yeah. that there are 14 people that are actually watching this rather than being out in the glorious sunshine and, you know, doing all, all something five, all interesting, five minutes exciting. Of the sunshine, They're probably anyway. stuck in Europe where there's no such thing as glorious sunshine from what I've heard on uh, the news. No, I must Better. admit, yes, that's very true. Uh, speaking to my brother in the UK, it's, um, there was a fascinating little piece of information or snippet of information that he let uh, free to me was that um, Gatwick Airport uh, had spent something in the vicinity of £12 million this year uh, weatherproofing their airport for Christmas. Uh, Heathrow spent... Uh, None. <laughs> no, it was seven hundred and seventy-five thousand pounds. Yes, not not yeah. quite enough. I think the results speak for themselves. Well, <laughs> I think I think to uh, the, the one thing we can say about this is that Heathrow is a perfect example of how not to privatise an airport and uh, how you can use corporations to completely represent how good your country is. Not yes, <laughs> yeah, no. It's a complete disaster there. But no, I think what's, what's happening is that there could be 14 people from Australia who are faced with watching the complete boredom and destruction of the cricket. We're not going to mention the cricket. I've told you that before. We're not mentioning the bloody cricket. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> yes, no. it is. It is rather depressing talking about the cricket, but uh, we won't talk about that today. What we thought we'd do on this episode is uh, have a bit of a look back at uh, some of the, the interesting things that have happened aviation-wise in this part of the world, have a bit of a chat about that. Uh, ben wants to talk a bit about the uh, the ADSB discussion we had a couple of episodes back, so we've uh, we've even printed off some paperwork here for him to read from. So uh, yeah, there'll be wow. no excuses if you get anything wrong, mate. There'll be lots of people... Uh, <laughs> Watching that, <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also Live. we've got uh, also we've got a lot of uh, greetings that have come in, Christmas greetings and uh, such like uh, from our, our friends in the aviation podcasting community and uh, from other sectors around the world. So we'll play those in at uh, various points. So it's been really good to have all our friends in the aviation community, and we are all a big community here of podcasters. Anthony's just pouring another glass of wine. This could be a worry. Yes, uh, <laughs> you should you should know the sound by now, gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there was. We uh, just missed the cork sound at the start because this is a screw top. But, yeah, uh, well. It's, uh, you know, we do have to actually move forward and progress. Yes, and uh, Anthony has brought a whole bottle in for the recording, whereas Ben and I have only a stubby each, so we may have to rectify that soon. Uh, the biggest news story of the year in this part of the world surely would be the Qantas A380 saga. Would we all be in agreement about that? Oh, well, it's I, the most recent. Well, not just the most recent. I think it'd have to be. It started, at least from what I could tell, and, you know, as I explained, and, and as you all know, I, I'm not... An aviation, I'm not a plane head, but I think that was the start of the week from hell for Qantas because that was not the only incident that they had that was reported in the major press. No. There were a number of there were a number of issues, there were a number of incidents that they had, and no matter how much PR and spin you can put, I think it made for a very low light in Qantas's reputation. No, they they got more of a hit than uh, when QF1 went off the end of the runway in Bangkok. Uh, even though this was something that was QF1 was in their control, so to speak, but this Rolls Royce engine going patui uh, was not something they could have had any control over at all. There is some theory that uh, because they were using the Rolls Royce total care package, they had no they've they've abdicated responsibility for uh, the maintenance of those engines. So in the past, they would have had their own Rolls Royce specialists around. Who knows? Maybe they would have found things, but. Uh, 
either way, from that, a number of other engines going patui as well, and a few other incidents that were worthy of mentioning, not just the usual gamut of issues that come up and uh, that the media love to show at the time, you know, the tall poppy syndrome. Yeah, no, I was I was just under the impression that um, the the incident with the A380, with the, uh, what is it, it's a Trent 9... Trent 900, yeah. Nine, thank you, 900. That there was there was an intrinsic problem with the, the the motor itself because Qantas were were working it harder. Was that is that correct? They're, they're flying the the nine hundred series, I believe the nine hundred one they were calling it or the nine hundred two, but it's the Trent nine hundred with the uh, it's able to go to seventy two thousand pounds of takeoff thrust. None of the others do the seventy two thousand. They just stop at seventy, saying that two thousand pounds does make a difference. Apparently, uh, especially when you run it for well over a minute. Um, as we were hearing from Captain Woodward, it takes a minute for them to roll down the runway in Los Angeles at maximum gross weight. Uh, they actually take off at maximum structural weight. And so, yeah, it takes a minute for the uh, of engine full speed, full steam, just to get off the runway. The interesting thing that I I didn't know, and I thought, gee whiz, 90,000 pounds of thrust, that sounds amazing. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure it is, but uh, we were listening to uh, Max on the Airplane Geeks talking about uh, the engines they're using on the uh, the triple sevens are putting out 115,000 pounds of thrust. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, and I don't understand the technology of it all, but it's interesting to see that uh, with this new engine, even though it's uh, pushing out less thrust, that they're having these issues anyway. Yeah. Well, it's it's still it's it's less thrust in terms of compared to the raw power of the uh, twin jet aircraft engines uh, that we're getting in the triple sevens. But don't forget those engines are uh, designed differently. They have more of a max thrust capacity compared to their cruising thrust. In a four yeah. engine, it's got to do with their engine output. Performance and a triple seven three hundred like the Australia operates has the ability to to lose an engine at the decision speed on the runway and still drag three hundred and fifty tons of metal into the air on one engine, yeah. which is why it needs so much thrust on the remaining engine. That, actually, that said, if it, if one of those let go, I imagine it would make a, a very good bang, like just like the Trent 900 did. Yeah, there's a great video on YouTube taken in uh, in the UK uh, quite a, a number of years ago now. It's a Thompson 757, I think it is, mm-hmm. uh, taking off, and it uh, gets bird strike and lo- loses an engine and still quite quite happily uh, it shuts down one engine and still quite easily gets up in the air and does a beautiful yep. landing. So, you know, obviously um, there's, there's a lot of power there to spare and that's probably a good thing particularly for a twin engine jet no i think yeah the most recent and probably one of the bigger parts of news for the year has definitely been the Qantas situation with engines especially on the a380 but also on the 747s they've had a couple of rb211 problems as well so you can't say that's a a design fault flaw in a brand new engine because they've been around for a while but look you know there is another huge piece of news here and i've really got to bring this one up uh, I think this is absolutely amazing for 2010. Tiger made a profit. No. No, oh my God. I haven't even got the scream sound effect lined up on the board here. <laughs> I, know, I, know, I don't think you needed the sound of Anthony choking and dying. And I mean, hey, I, I've flown Tiger. I have actually flown Tiger and I survived. It must have been good. You made it Becky. Yeah, I know. It was only three hours late leaving Sydney. <laughs> but, you know, I, you, I don't understand. You actually had praise for them. But in fact, if yeah. you want to see a witness, just ask our photographer friend in the background here the look on my face at Perth Airport when we had our Tiger experience. <laughs> He just patted me on the shoulder and said, come on, mate, we're going. I'm driving. And, and he That's was right. driving yeah, probably just as well. well. I don't understand for $29 a ticket to Hobart yeah, for an hour flight for $29 per person. I don't know how they can do it. I, do, I don't understand how the math works. Well, I know they're using very, very uh, like fewer staff than anyone else. They cl- That's why they close the check-in early because then those check-in people go off and run the staff. Someone was saying they were in the Tiger queue the other day and there was this massive queue and something like two or three people checking in, whereas Rex, the regional airline, had six people checking in. For smaller aircraft and yeah, and shorter distance, uh, yes, shorter yes, distance but, flights. Yeah. 
on Rex, you get service. Yes, exactly. Rex has way better service. <laughs> okay, we're just zipping through the news stories here. And, yep, um, you got them in front of you? I was actually just going to say that. Do you have the Jetstar 330, the one that went to Adelaide? Oh, the the, the photo was an A320, and they um, pointed out that, oh, by the way, it just happened to be a... Amongst, um, amongst other things, but that's just the usual journalistic... Uh, Crud. Yes, professionalism that we expect from the uh, professional mainstream media in this country. We would never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Correct. Indeed. But um, that that was uh, the latest in the string of uh, the Qantas bashing. Speaking of the Qantas 32, was uh, the Jetstar A330 that had uh, an engine issue yep. on its way back from uh, Southeast Asia. And it had an engine issue, shut down an engine and, and diverted to Adelaide instead of continuing on to Melbourne. I believe it was coming back from uh, Denpasar. But just amazing how in that story they managed to say, oh, it was an ex-Qantas aircraft. <laughs> but, yeah. and, and it had only joined the Jetstar fleet about a week earlier so of course it got, it got linked back into the, Qu- yeah, the Qantas bashing next round of Qantas bashing was well as we all know as we say on this podcast constantly uh, you know Qantas yes. is part of the Jetstar group yes indeed but uh, look okay if we're going to talk about uh, bashing an airliner when it's down um, what about the 787 I know it's in the US but it, it does impact here in Australia because it's slowing down the uh, acceptance of Qantas uh, they're supposed to be getting 787 Air New Zealand's supposed to be getting 787s. And Air New Zealand have acknowledged the fact that they're going to be delayed and that they're not going to get their 787s quite as early as anyone else. But Qantas keep talking about getting theirs in 2012. And yet they keep talking about 2012, despite the fact that Boeing keeps pushing the date out. This is, is, forgive me for my ignorance, but this is the Dreamliner, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's a dream. It won't come out yet. It's the Nightmare Liner. Ah, right. It's one of those almost like a a coma liner these days. (laughs) (laughs) One day. <laughs> I believe Qantas is actually looking at this through glasses the same colour as yours. Though. Yeah. <laughs> they have the rose-coloured outlook and they, they're not going to believe it's not available until we get halfway through next year and they go, oh, whoops. Um, actually, way, yeah. what are they in for? About 30 aircraft, I think, all told? Oh, it's quite a few. Yeah, yeah so, yeah, boy, so about 40, 60 split, I think, between the two airlines now. Well, you know, I, I just imagine all the people up there at, uh, at Seattle, you know, who were um, bagging Airbus for all their A380 problems. I wonder if they're the same people now that are scratching their head and saying, gee whiz, it is a bit more complex than we thought to build a, a new generation airliner after all. Yeah, especially with this whole outsourcing system and using external groups and uh, relying on others to do a good quality job and bring it all together and having enough fasteners. And weren't they all from McDonnell Douglas anyhow? <laughs> that was that, well. That was that was a joke. You could tell when Boeing started going downhill. It's when they um, bought McDonnell Douglas and McDonnell Douglas management started managing Boeing into the ground the same way they did McDonnell Douglas. <laughs> Well, on a cheery note, we might play the first of our, uh, our Christmas greetings. This one comes from our good friend Max Flight over at the Airplane Geeks podcast. This is Max Flight from the Airplane Geeks podcast, wishing Steve and Grant, as well as all the Plane Crazy Down Under listeners, a joyous holiday season. If that involves gift giving, go buy MP3 players for all your friends and load them up with Airplane Geeks and PCDU shows, podcasts, the gift that keeps on giving. Good old Max White. I tell you, Max, I think he was uh, suffering from a bit of a head cold there, but uh, thanks for sending that in, Max. And i got to tell you, you know, Max, he's a bit of a podcast mentor these days. He, he's certainly been hugely helpful to us here and he's been helping uh, many, many others. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think uh, people sing Max's uh, praises highly enough uh, these days. So, uh, Max, I hope you've gotten over that cold, mate. And uh, we know they're freezing to death up there in the US at the moment, but uh, actually uh, just looking out the window here at the moment, uh, it's supposed to be in the middle of summer and uh, not quite cold here as well. Yeah, it's 20 degrees or so standing in the sun for all five minutes of it but uh, you, you got five minutes of sun yeah just when I went out to take a phone call before yeah oh goodness yeah I, I rock um, <laughs> we've got another one if, we, if we're going to continue along the concept of maintenance woes and aircraft that may never arrive let's switch to military and talk JSF 
All right. Yeah. Well, that has been a big story this year. Well, well, I can honestly say once again, as I know nothing, but I know that we are talking about the Joint Strike Fighter, and this would appear to be the latest in a long line of Australian military lemons we have purchased sight unseen. Ah, but this is the fun bit, is that we're actually trying to do it off the book. We're not making any modifications, unlike the Collins-class subs and the the Sea Sprite helicopters, where we tried to do things that no one else had ever done before. Yeah, we're actually going, well, we'll take the JSF just like everyone else. Else. It's just no one else is getting it either. It's, it's yes, but but we we took the F one eleven the same off the book as everybody else too, and that that worked wonderful when well, it, when it got here. That's what everyone was associated with the JSF is doing. They're going no nah, no, nah, but but the F one eleven was supposed to be for multiple services, and it was a lemon at first. But it, look how good that was, and we're going yeah yeah that was the F one eleven. If you're lucky, the F thirty five might work out the same. Well, my, my my concern as a taxpayer in this country now is with um, a lot of orders being dropped off, and I speak particularly of the UK. What impact is that going to have on the unit cost for an F-35 by the time we get them? I mean, they're already talking, what, about $100 million a copy Australian dollars. Is that going to force the cost up well, for yeah. the taxpayer here? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to say yes. Yeah, just economies of scale. Better work yeah. a bit harder, then, boys. Uh, yeah, better. <laughs> <laughs> better, better pay some more taxes, gang. Damn. Oh, yes, God. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see where these contracts and whether they will, you know, are they fixed or like a floating price or, you know, is it a rough estimate of what it might cost you by the time you take delivery or, you know, um, can we lock it in and say this is the price I'm buying it for and that's that? That's what Lockmart's trying to do. They're trying to say, hey, we'll guarantee you this price for these many um, aircraft because they keep having problems and uh, everyone's hassling them about price increases and so on. But, uh, you know, that's that's all well and good, but uh, how much is the price going up for everything else around it? Yeah, the aircraft are $150 million each, no problems at all. But each second nut is going to cost another million dollars, you know, mm. things and like that. And also yes. with the economies of scale, the Australian, you know, you look at the Australian population and the size of the Australian Defence Force, Defence Force, and then compare that to, say, the Defence Force of the United Kingdom. Obviously, they would have been buying more planes if they'd gone through with their order... They're not going through with their order now, so there's less that's going to be produced, and of that, we're taking in a greater proportion of a smaller Mm -hmm. initial production run. We're going to have to get hammered somewhere in the dollar department. Sounds like railway logic to me, Anthony. Yeah, I don't talk about railway logic. (laughs) (laughs) Mutually exclusive terms. There is none. It's like military (laughs) intelligence, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Cool. But the, the other cost of the thing is too is everybody's gap capabilities that's mm-hmm. coming in. I mean, for us, it's the, the Rhino that we're getting in the minute at the minute, which is effectively going back to the F-111 comparison, is the next Phantom. Yes, mm. indeed. Because we, we had the Phantom to cover the gap that the F-111 was supposed to be in the first place. The smart thing that they did this year, and we don't know how long ago they planned this, but uh, uh, they've brought out some as F-A-18 F-pluses, which uh, you know can potentially be converted to the uh, to the growler spec. So, you know, there is uh, a fair amount of scope for these aircraft to be redeployed if the Air Force chooses to, you know, if and when the F-35s finally make it here. So, yeah, you got to say, that's a bit of uh, good planning on the behalf of the, uh, the yeah. RAF. No, it is a good, a good bit of looking forward and a bit of acknowledgement that uh, the uh, the rhinos may be around a bit longer than everyone was thinking. But we have uh, the latest defence capability plan has talked about uh, four squadrons of uh, F-35s, so that's going to give us quite a bit of capacity there. So that's about 100 aircraft. They're still, yeah. saying, they're still staying four squadrons, so that's, well, that's good. That works. Okay then, well uh, let's play another one of our Christmas greetings now. Um, you know, talk about coal. We just talked about poor old Max over there on the east coast of the US, but uh, our friends up there in Denver at the Mile High Flyers podcast. How do you reckon they'd be going right now? Let's have a listen to Frostbite. Uh, yeah, let's have a listen. There's nothing quite like the holiday season for rekindling the magic of family, friends, and good flying stories in our lives. Hello everyone, it's Nate, Denver pilot here, with holiday wishes and messages from all of the Mile High Flyers. Well. 
All of them except for Doug, you see. Doug is taking his private pilot check ride this Thursday, and we all want to wish him well and have him study up and pass, so we're leaving him alone while he struggles with his E6B and prepares himself for oil and flight testing at the hands of an FAA-designated pilot examiner. Meanwhile, here's some words from Ziola, Mike, and Elizabeth, and from my house to yours, we truly wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Aloha kako! It's in Ziola, or stuff over there. Wishing everybody a Mele Kibikimaka, Ameha Olimaka Shiho, or Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Everybody have a great New Year. Stay safe and do that which scares you the most. Mahalo. This is Mike from the Mile High Flyers podcast. This is Elizabeth from the Mile High Flyers podcast, sending you season's greetings. And we want to wish all our friends and the listeners of this podcast Merry Christmas, and we hope you have a wonderful new year. And remember, the couple that flies together stays together. So there you have it, our seasonal wishes for the Plain Crazy Down Under podcast listeners, Steve and Grant, and boy, we sure hope to see you all at Oshkosh next year. And make sure to tune in soon and listen to the Mile High Flyers podcast for an extra special episode of the Regional Airport the night before Christmas. You can always find us on the web at www.milehighflyers.com, spelled with a Y in flyers. And with that, we turn it back to Grant and Steve, the Australian voices in our head. Well, thanks, guys, for sending that in. And uh, a really big shout-out, to, particularly to uh, Ziola Grant. Um, we've been following her. I've been following her on her Facebook and her Twitter feed. She's been having a really rough year of it, so we really want to do a shout-out to Ziola in particular at the Mile High Flyers. We really hope that uh, she has a, a much better year than she's had this year. Yep. She's really done it rough. Yeah, no, it's been very hard for her. She's uh, one of the many in the U.S. who are dealing with the fact that they have no income, but unfortunately she's a sole-income person. If she has no income, no one in her fa- in her house has income. So, yeah, that makes it pretty hard for her. Yeah, so uh, Zyla, Z, well, I call you Z, but we'd have to call you Z here because we speak the Queen's English, well, sort of. I don't know. I listened to ZZ Top as a kid, so I call it Z. ZZ Z so, Top? Yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Grant, now you've got a story there about strategic airlines. Well, yeah, it's not just one story. It's a number of stories. And I reckon 2010 has been the year that could for strategic airlines. Uh, they've gone from running one a couple of small charter aircraft. They're now doing flights to Bali. They're running an A320, and they're giving it a go. Now, they don't have much of a fleet like Tiger doesn't. Tiger only has 10. They don't have many, um, many aircraft, so I think if anything goes wrong, they're in deep trouble. But... Uh, yeah, good on Strategic Airlines. They've they've managed to make a bit of a go of it this year, and uh, I'm finding them in the news a lot more than uh, previously. Yeah, I, I noticed in the uh, in the newspaper this week, granted they're advertising some flights out of Melbourne up to I think it was to Bali or something like that. Yeah, which, Bali. Yeah. So. Yep. No, they're doing all sorts of stuff, and I'm just seeing them again and again. I mean, they they lost a couple of Defence Force contracts, and there was a bit of legal wrangling over that, but they're making up for it with all the commercial operations. Ben, uh, being an air traffic controller, of course you work there at Melbourne Centre, do you see much of strategic around? Do they come down this part of the world very often? We do, do see them from, from time to time. Um, I don't have much to do with them because my airspace is predominantly low-level airspace, but I believe they were hauling around the press call for one or other of the candidates in the in the election. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think they were a Tony Abbott's uh, media pack was, was on that one. But, uh, yeah, well, one, one team was flying on the A320 with uh, Strategic and the other one was flying in a uh, New Zealand-registered 146. So, <laughs> so 
whoever was in the strategic A320 definitely got the better deal out of the hall. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen one come into Melbourne in my various plane spotting trips. Do they use the call sign strategic or do they use something else? I believe it is, yeah, strategic. Not something ridiculous like GoCat or something? No. Go Strat. No, no, they've, they've gone the other way. Their actual uh, identifier is AGC, which is very, very like strategic, as you can see. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see the similarities straight away. I was going to say AGC, is that the company that's leasing the planes to them? Maybe. Could be, could be, could be. And what else you got there, Grant? There's lots of things we could talk about as being big news. Uh, you know, there was the uh, Virgin Blue making more money by flying people than Qantas made by flying people. Um, I think Virgin did a, a great result for the financial year that just ended in the middle of this calendar year. They announced early that they were going to be a little lower and everyone else, you know, Qantas was like, oh, no, we're going to hit our targets. And, yes, they did hit their targets, mostly because they were able to make a whole lot of money through their uh, frequent flyer program and various other things not related directly to flying bums on seats. So Virgin have a smaller fleet and they made more money flying bums around the place than Qantas did. And as one of the bums who flies on Virgin, well done, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've done a few miles with Virgin this year, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, they've got to diversify and make money wherever they can. And, uh, you know, particularly, you know, we talk a lot about here about the, you know, the environment of competition, the way it is these days. And, uh, you know, Qantas has got to look for many and varied ways to make their money because they just haven't got a monopoly like they used to have. Quite. It's not like the good old days of the two Airline policy, no. <laughs> That's right. At least we knew what we had. <laughs> it made, made my job as, as an air traffic controller easier too because everyone told me the good old days and the two airline policy, if you saw a TAA, you knew an ANSET was right behind it. Or vice versa. <laughs> or yes. vice versa, yes. depending on who got out first. They all yeah. took off at the same time and flew the same routes. It was ridiculous. All right, we'll, uh, we'll uh, have another Christmas greeting. This one uh, comes from Rob Sigliana over at uh, the new pilot pod blog. That's a difficult one for me to wrap my jaws around. That, no? Oh, quite. It could be worse. It could, it could be the uh, pilot's flight pod log. Come on, yeah. say it, say <laughs> no, it. No, no, no. I'm still suffering from uh, pod, podcast name fatigue. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, but uh, Rob's a great guy. He flies a pipe of sport over there in New York, I think he flies. Yeah, Long yeah. Island. Yeah. Yeah. Flies out of Long, Long Island. 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 Yeah, so awesome. So he sent this along for us. Hello, everybody. This is Robert Cigliano from the new Pilot Pod Blog. Wishing everyone from down under a joyous holiday season and a safe and happy new year. Especially to Stephen Grant from the Playing Crazy Down Under podcast. You know the podcast with those guys with those funny accents who live on an island and drink a lot of beer. Hey, that sounds a lot like me. We must all be related. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, folks. Blue skies and tailwinds always. How'd you like to spend Christmas on Christmas Island? How'd you like to spend the... Grant's sort of dreaming of Hawaii right now, but uh, thanks, Rob, for uh, sending that in. And, uh, you know, people should get over and listen to some of these other podcasts, and uh, you can find these all at thevoicesinyourhead.com and uh, certainly check out uh, Rob's uh, podcast. And uh, you know, every time I listen to his, I, I think about uh, wanting to get my hands on a pipe of sport and... Uh, well, I don't know if I'd fit in one, actually, but well, you might get me in one. Might be like me in a Jabberoo. I'd get in and not be able to get out without a can opener, but uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, look, it's it's great. And uh, thevoicesinyourhead.com is a great place. And note that's thevoicesinyourhead.com. I went to the voices in my head or just voices in my head, and I found a whole lot of different stuff, and it was quite entertaining and interesting, but it wasn't quite what I was looking for. <laughs> 
All right, then. We'll do one more subject here. And, uh, Ben, I think you wanted to have a bit of a chat about this. A couple of episodes back, there was uh, quite an interesting and perhaps even somewhat uh, controversial discussion regarding uh, bringing an ADSB in this country. And uh, our American friends would uh, be looking at that and calling it Next Gen. Uh, Australia has um, started to bring this system online. And, uh, Ben, uh, you sent uh, quite a quite a long uh, reply in an email here. So uh, oh. the floor is yours, my friend. Get the disclaimer out of the way that this is what I think and what my employer thinks or what my union thinks is probably completely different. <laughs> yeah, we do have to point that your, out. Your, your results may vary. Yeah. <laughs> and some people may say they hope they're different, but anyhow. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yep. I mean, the technology in in and of itself, to me, seems amazing. And um, my my concern here, and having listened to to some of the things that were brought up in that interview that Baz was conducting there, um, it seems to me that Australia is wanting to bring in once again their own flavour of this system that that may be you know slightly different to the way the rest of the world is looking at doing it, and would make me wonder why there is a determination to do that at uh, at CASA. From from the technical side of it, I, I don't know that much about it. Um, as far as the the ten ten ninety version. Versus uh, the UAT and uh, the other different modes. Uh, one thing they do get a lot in the in the United States, they already get it through Mode S, I believe, is the, what they call the TISB broadcast, the traffic broadcast, yep. which gives them it feeds the radar picture back out to the world yep. as well. So everybody gets to see what the controller gets to see, and that that's one benefit of of them going to the UAT system. Um, from what I understand of it, is because of its broadband ability to receive those transmissions and the weather and all that sort of thing. Um, in Australia, we don't have any of that. So we don't, from from a, from a pure perspective of that, we don't actually have the need to commission a broadband system and all the work that goes with it because we don't have any of these services yet. But in a way, you can say that we're not getting uh, anywhere near the level of support that the Yanks are getting because we're not getting all that extra information of weather and traffic coming back at us and... You know, their system's going to have included. Uh, although I must admit, their system only works if you can receive it. And as a few of the guys in Alaska discovered, once you get into a valley, you lose all the benefits of ADSB. That's right. That's right. It's it's still a line of sight system too. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've we've got. Uh, they're calling it nationwide coverage above thirty thousand. Correct. Yeah. So um, above above flight level three hundred or thirty thousand feet, you you do get uh, coverage over the whole of the continent. Continental Australia. Yeah, which is yeah. really good in my Jabiru, yes. <laughs> um, however, yes, of course, if you're uh, down at the lower levels at 5,000 feet, there's still great big whopping holes in yeah. the coverage. And Except for people like me who consider 5,000 feet to be kind of high when you're in a basket on a balloon. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. So uh, ADSB, for, from my point of view, from, from the airspace that I work, the biggest benefit from the upper airspace uh, implementation is being able to process the traffic mm. in, in outback Australia. Yeah. We get a, a big gaggle comes across from Southeast Asia because of the timing. The overnight red-eye flights all come down together. Uh, we've got flex tracks for them now, but they all come down on the same flex track. <laughs> and I've you see it often because my airspace is, because I do regional airspace, we're very quiet of a night time, so you get to look around at the other you know, bits of the screen because we have we have the whole entire FIR in our system. Yeah. So each console can look at the entire FIR if they choose. Yeah. So we can actually look at and see what the other guys are doing and the the, uh, the central guys are good. Do Central Australia, Alice Springs, and the West Coast. They're all very very busy in the middle of the night getting this gaggle through, and it's not uncommon to see four aeroplanes very nearly stacked on top of each other vertically. Wow. And the problem is, of course, that the uh, the poor bunny who took off last, who's at thirty you know, flight level three six zero at the bottom of the stack, if he wants to step yeah. climb to to get back to his optimum level, he's got to convince the three people above him to go up. Whereas at least in this system now that we have, we can actually vector him out and either parallel him or yeah. fi- fire him up 
over the top of everybody else. Um, the and it, gives, it gives us more options, especially if, with weather and things like that too. We can actually yep. see where everybody is with, yep. with the new uh, ADSB system. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, most of Australia is procedural airspace, isn't it? So what's, what sort of separation are you looking at for uh, high-level aircraft? Um, well, in procedural airspace, there would be no way to actually, if you wanted to do that climb, do climb it, yeah. scenario, you can't do it without... Actually, um, yeah, the bottom pilot pretty much get getting on the uh, what they call the numbers frequency and uh, convincing the three guys above him to go up. Yeah, yeah, and and they all sort of climb up together. But other than that, yeah, you're, I mean, you're talking very big separation standards. Whereas now it's down to well, potentially five miles. Yeah. But the screen ranges that these big sectors work on kind of in you know doesn't allow that. But they they get a lot less than what they they used to be able to get. It's obviously allowing for a, a better system in in from the standpoint that it's allowing positive control of, of aircraft nationwide. I mean real time control. So that that's got to be advantageous. The main advantage you get in upper airspace is is use of airspace and efficiency yeah. of of tracking in airspace. Um, once you get you know, back with procedural, if if you have weather deviations, you pretty much have to just stack everybody at different vertical levels so that they can go wherever they want because it's extremely hard to to separate aeroplanes when they're off track. Well, let's say that we go 10 years down the track and every aircraft, irrespective of its size, is running some form, some flavour of ADS-B. What sort of workload is that going to place on you guys? Is that going to increase it? Is it going to replace? Is that the idea? Is it supposed to replace radar eventually? Or I think that, that's, the that's the path that they're, they're trying to head down is to replace less of the on-route radars and uh, and actually just have the, the terminal radars yeah. and, and have them in the terminal areas and then on-route radar will be replaced with ADS-B. Now, the problem from our perspective is, of course, where we have radar coverage, we see all the VFR aeroplanes. So we can give traffic alerts to VFR yeah. aircraft if they're heading towards each other or more commonly if there's uh, an IFR aircraft. Um, yeah, the airspace I do now is in the Bathurst-Dubbo area. We get very good radar coverage in Bathurst area. And we have the turboprops that come out from Sydney that uh, directs aircraft that go to Orange Bathurst and we can see them down to in the circuit. Yeah, And so we can give them... Um, you know, alerts to hey, look, you know, there's a VFR aircraft just taken off out of out of Bathurst and is you know doing this, and it allows them to well, sorry, facilitates their uh, they're separating themselves. Oh, well, according to all the uh, all the wonderful words that we keep hearing, is that they're supposed to be able to do that separation themselves because of all their everyone would be on transponders and TCAS and all the systems would be able allow and uh, the new ADSB will allow them to do that themselves without you guys having to do anything. Yes, well, we we st- we still have a, a responsibility too. Understood. So un- unlike my my understanding is unlike the our American counterparts, yep. uh, we actually have a, a duty of care here to provide information on on what we see as far as VFR. Yeah. traffic and things like that. Uh, in America, my understanding is that they're actually uh, indemnified from okay. from VFR aircraft and what they do because of the way their law is written. If if we had a VFR aircraft, you know, worst case scenario, yep. came came in close proximity with a with a Saab and and they traded paint. Yeah, the controller would be in as much trouble as the pilots. Whereas in the, in America, they wouldn't have have that problem. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, the control would still be under investigation, things like that, but they wouldn't be legally uh, liable for it. It's an interesting topic, and it's, it's certainly one that's going to be quite prominent. I think next year is more of these um, phase phasing periods, if you like, are coming along. So uh, I'm sure that'll give us a lot to talk about in uh, 2011, chaps. The way they're doing the phasing, in my opinion, is not correct for GA. Mm. Because yeah. airlines are getting the benefit out of it, and so they should be therefore subsidising or funding or what have you. In well, the, I think that's the point that Bill Hamilton was making, um, wasn't it? That uh, all, all of this expense for, for everybody with a light aircraft um, to what to what gain for them? Correct. Yeah, yeah. and 
from an up, what the upper uh, sorry the upper airspace mandate that's coming in I believe 2013 uh, in November and yeah. that that's going to assist us because at the moment we're limited in procedural airspace outside of radar coverage or traditional radar coverage we're actually limited to the worst case scenario so if you've got one aircraft with ADSB and one without you know better off than than what you would be if they both had both didn't have ADSB yeah it's yeah. only if they both got it that then the the lower separation minimums apply yeah I mean I, I learned to fly as everybody by now probably knows it listens regularly I learned to fly in the states where there's extensive radar coverage I mean yeah. would we have just been better off extending radar coverage or is that just old technology and we should be looking at something well ask the Americans more. they're even looking at going ADSB instead of radar because you know it's really hard to get up and service a radar on the top of a hill with all that and with a lot more you know like radars have moving parts that break down and cost a lot to go and fix up however it would appear I think we discussed this with with Bill that uh um, a lot of the um, cost-benefit analysis that CASA did was on installing brand new radars with lots of moving parts and things as opposed to keeping existing ones going and things like that. So the, co- the cost-benefit analysis is you, you can play. Remember, there's lies, damn lies, and statistics. Yeah. Well, it th- applies to a cost-benefit analysis as 58% well. 58% of all people will tell you that, Grant. Oh, there you go. Oh. That's right. I mean... The, the, the main reason we're moving towards an ADS-B system and it, it'll come down to one of your sound effects is the dollar. Yeah. Um, Cha-ching. I correct. haven't got that board loaded today, unfortunately. <laughs> um, because a radar has the rotating head and the dome and everything, it, it just costs a lot more money than yeah. um, an ADS-B setup, which is a one rack mount, well, two because of the redundancy, yeah. but we have you know a couple of rack-mounted units Mm-hmm. They go into the equipment cabinet and you stick the phone on the top of the mobile phone tower and put the antenna on the top of the mobile phone tower, have the two two units in the equipment cabinet that's already there, thanks to Telstra. And away, that, it, goes. And, and, and away it goes. You don't have to go and survey the site, build the site. Uh, a similar thing happened recently in Tasmania with the multilateration system yep. down there, that it was cheaper for them. Uh, there was more cost benefit in it to, instead of installing a, a permanent radar somewhere in Tasmania or possibly two, to put 14 receiver sites in because it would take two radars to get the coverage that we have. It's also using uh, technology that doesn't require quite as many degrees to understand, install and maintain. Uh, You can, uh, people with, as you're saying, it's in a cell phone tower. It's using uh, basic radio and computer equipment. It's not using super high-tech radars with all the um, paraphernalia that go with them and the associated degrees required to know how to service the damn things. So I understand at some point they were also facing both here and in the US the situation where a number of the people who were maintaining them were retiring and new people coming along didn't know the technology as well because it was older tech. So they were going to have to upgrade to newer tech so that people could understand it. Ergo, go with the uh, easier newer tech. So yes, that's that right. concept as well. That's something that we'll keep an eye on for the new year. And um, like I say, it's certainly going to create a lot of discussion. We certainly encourage our listeners to uh, to send us an email here, playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com and uh, let us know what you think. And particularly uh, people that are in the GA side of things, um, you know, this is it's going to affect you guys the most. So we, we really want to hear uh, what you've got to say and hopefully um, you know if there's a, there's a lot of negative pushback against this then we need to uh, you know we need to coordinate some sort of voice to the authorities the powers that be and let them know that uh, things have to change well as we said in the episode uh, where we spoke about ADSB with Bill uh, get out there and write 
tell CASA what you think of their uh, proposal. It was extended, uh, the feedback period. Get out and tell uh, Minister Anthony Albanese, the uh, Transport Minister or Minister of Infrastructure, or as many people like to call him, the Minister for Everything because he has so many portfolios. But get out there and tell him. Get out there and tell your elected officials and your opposition officials what you think. Get your uh, membership groups such as AOPA and uh, and so on, the RAOs. Get them, tell them that you want them to actually speak up about how bad this proposal is if you don't agree with it. And let's get people's voices in the ears of the politicians because the white paper said we had to make sure things were safer and they're doing this as part of the white paper, but with no real cost benefit, effective cost benefit analysis or a, even a uh, risk management assessment where you would do a uh, tell me the likelihood and tell me the impact and the likelihood very low, but the impact kind of high. Well, guess what? We'll just, we don't have to do that much for it. All right. Well, we might leave that one there. It's, uh, we're trying to have a bit of a, keep this a little bit lighthearted uh, for this 50th episode. And uh, given that it is the Christmas season, uh, Grant, uh, we spoke the other day to uh, Matt Wardell over at Air Services Australia and uh, they run a really cool service there, their Santa Tracker, I think they call it. Yes. And, uh, you know, something for the kids to uh, to get on and log on to and they can uh, watch Santa as he makes his way across the world and uh, uh, there's a NOTAM put out and all that sort of good stuff. So we had a quick chat to uh, Matt just about uh, what's involved in creating that website. Uh, I must warn you folks that uh, Grant was uh, stuck in the office at work this day, so uh, he is also on the phone, yeah. in case you're wondering. Um, but, uh, yeah, quite an interesting interview. So uh, we'll just play that now. And uh, following that, uh, we'll be going to a break and then we'll be uh, having a, uh, an interview that uh, we conducted a couple of weekends ago with Michael and uh, Rosalind Gilmore. They're the guys that run uh, downwind.com.au where we host our forums every week. And uh, they came in and just had a bit of a chat about uh, how things are going, some of the things they've got planned for the new year and uh, how many more of those barbecues we hope they've got planned because uh, boy we enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to go again. Okay well here's, uh, here's our interview with Matt Wardell. Well, folks, Christmas all around the world is a particularly busy time of year for air travel. And, of course, the air traffic control system is uh, always very, very congested at this time of year. And uh, somewhat complicated by that is the arrival of the uh, Big Jolly Man. Now, here in Australia, of course, we're one of the uh, first, thanks to the uh, vagaries of the Dateline, to uh, have Santa arrive on our doorstep. And so our friends at Air Services Australia have to uh, work in with uh, Santa's helpers to make sure that uh, we can facilitate his rather erratic flight plan. So joining us on the line now from Air Services Australia is Matt Wardell to tell us all about it. G'day, Matt. G'day, guys. How are you going? Very well. Welcome to the show. And um, let's have a talk about Santa, of course. Now, he obviously has some sort of special uh, pilot's uh, certificate that allows him to fly all over the world. But um, one of the things you guys have to organise is a, a NOTAM. We do indeed. And it's something we've done for uh, for the last couple of years and uh, generally gets put out there to, uh, to industry on about uh, the 23rd, sometimes as late as the 24th, just um, updating everybody to, um, to obviously be on the lookout for a, uh, shall we say, a a non-standard airframe uh, in the sky on Christmas Eve, particularly one that's operating at um, at all sorts of flight levels and making some fairly rapid ascents and descents um, through controlled airspace. So um, yeah, look, it's it, it's something which um, uh, which does generate a, a fair bit of interest for us and some good coverage as well. Excellent. And uh, so let, let's have a talk about the NOTAM and, and how long have you guys been actually uh, doing this for people? Look, I have to be honest and say I'm not entirely sure off the top of my head, but I think it's the last uh, the last sort of uh, at least five to six six years, um, we, we've actually been um, involved in, uh, in in doing some, shall we say, air traffic control for Santa and making that a bit of a feature on our uh, corporate website for uh, up to about the last decade. Uh, the, the NOTAM itself is, I suppose, just one component of that, but it, it, it's something which does generate some interest in the pilot community. Uh, we, we also have, um, uh, obviously, some content on our website and some other activities directed at, at the general public as well, and, uh, and obviously an opportunity for the kiddies to have a bit of a sneak 
big preview on uh, on Santa's visits to air services to make sure that all's in readiness for the big night. We we have a, a small team of people here at corporate headquarters in Canberra that are involved in that process. A number of them are lucky enough to uh, to meet Santa, and uh, we also have some technical people who uh, who provide the content, including the Santa Tracker, which is uh, which is available on our website this year as it has been for the last couple of years. And uh, just talking about that website, we'll pop a link in our show notes uh, if people want to go and have a look at that. How, how much sort of traffic do you get through that uh, particular party website this time of year? Is uh, very exciting for the kids, of course. And uh, you know, do you find a lot of uh, a lot of the general public find their way to the site? Well, look, absolutely. Um, it, it is it is in fact our record usage for the year, not counting the uh, the pilot briefing service, uh, of course, which gets hit fairly regularly and fairly often. But in terms of uh, general uh, general traffic to our website, December the twenty fourth is um, is the busiest day. Uh, we actually have system administrators on standby just monitoring the amount of traffic hitting the website. And uh, last year, uh, Christmas 2009, uh, we actually had to uh, rather rapidly uh, increase our bandwidth and uh, talk to our supplier to get some more pipe because the, the number of people hitting our website was in the hundreds of thousands. It was just incredible. So it um, it, it really um, it really does a lot for our, um, our, our corporate image. It's obviously part of our, um, our corporate relationship strategy, but uh, the, the media interest in what we do is such that it does generate an incredible amount of traffic to the website, which is good news for us. Um, you know, but it's also good fun, obviously, for the kiddies who are, who are hitting the website, playing some of the games, checking whether they're on Santa's naughty or nice list, and, and I think more importantly for them, uh, trying to work out at roughly what time Santa will be flying over their house, based on the um, on the flight route we've got on our website. I'm actually, just looking here at the Santa tracker, and uh, it looks like it's been uh, nicely updated this year. Actually, there's uh, quite a bit more bling in the presentation this year. So uh, yes, yes, so slightly different this year. It was time to freshen it up. We've um, had the, uh, Santa's really followed the same route for the last couple of years and, and he's made some small changes this year uh, so we thought it was um, probably timely as well to uh, to get the web developers to uh, have a look at a way of, um, uh, of accurately uh, representing that. We've been able to, uh, to, to as, as we have in previous years, get special access to that and um, get Santa's permission to put that on the site. So um, it's there for all to see. Now what, what kind of systems is Santa using on his, on his sleigh this year? This year he's, he's got the um, ADSB, the Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast System, well bedded in. Uh, we installed it on the sleigh last year for the first time. That was uh, only about a month after we'd completed the, the the national ADSB network here in Australia, which which, as some of your uh, your aviation um, experts may know, uh, Air Services w- was the first to complete a national rollout of an ADSB system anywhere in the world. So, so Santa was able to test that. It worked really well. He's decided he likes it. Um, we've decided we like it because it allows us to keep track of him um, uh, at all the time all the way across continental Australia and vector everybody else out of his way. So, so the ADSB is, is the main piece of equipment that, um, that, that he's relying on and, and we're relying on this year again. Cool. Have you, have you, do you find that you have to do much vectoring to keep his airspace clear? Look, there's a fair bit. He does tend to uh, chop and change a fair bit, as he's wont to do. I don't know. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a present that he's forgot to drop off, and he needs to pop back and um, uh, and do that. So uh, it's more a question of um, making sure that we keep everybody well out of his way. So we essentially give him a block of airspace to operate in, and as he moves from one block to another, uh, a temporary restricted area, if you like, uh, we're able to uh, keep most of the big jets away, and obviously it's smaller traffic as well. Um, we tend to know where everybody is, so we put that knowledge to uh, knowledge to good use on Christmas Eve.
While we're talking about the technology side of stuff, I guess uh, RNP uh, is uh, quite an issue here at the moment. So will you be uh, using that technology as well? Look, not so much this year, but certainly for uh, for 2011, we've we've uh, we've already had the uh, the initial chat with uh, with the elves about whether uh, RNP approaches or other performance-based navigation technology might actually assist get into particularly some of the um, I suppose more heavily trafficked areas uh, around the east coast of Australia, particularly where where there's uh, there's a lot of traffic to avoid. There's some terrain issues as well. Anything that can obviously help Santa get into and out of a particular location fairly quickly and, and PBN offers that possibility is, is something he's very interested in. Uh, and as we develop a, an Australian PBN network of which um, of which RNP, to, to use another acronym, is a, is a part, um, I expect that we'll be able to um, fit Santa the sleigh and the reindeer into that system in coming years. Cool. Do you know if he's, uh, if he's using glass cockpit or any advanced systems on the sleigh or is it a kind of magic up there? There is a fair bit of magic there. I do know I do know he's an iPhone user. A shot I've seen of the sleigh um, does feature an iPhone on the dashboard. Yeah, but other than that, I think it's um, it's good old-fashioned reindeer power uh, uh, with 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 uh, with Rudolph in the lead. Um, he obviously makes good use of. Um, he's got a good weather radar, um, and he generally checks with our national operations centre here in Canberra, which manages the national um, national airway system. We have some embedded uh, meteorologist weathermen from the the Bureau of Meteorology there, and uh, they'll be providing the the very latest weather information to uh, to Santa late on Christmas Eve before he uh, he heads off. Um, Australian airspace, of course, is one of the first on his on his world trip. He essentially leaves the North Pole, heads down the uh, the international date line, covers off some of the Pacific Islands, uh, visits our friends in New Zealand, uh, and then spends the, the first significant proportion of his um, sleigh journey that night in Brisbane and Melbourne uh, flight information regions before heading off to our, our near nor- northern neighbours. So he's he's here for, a, for for quite a while before he heads off to get the rest of the world done. Well, it's pretty cool that he's got an iPhone on his on his sleigh, mate, because uh, that must definitely be there so he can hook into NAPES, the National Aeronautical Information Publica- Publication System that uh, lets you update your flight plans and so on online, yeah? Look, absolutely. Given uh, given Santa does, uh, does a lot of chopping and changing and uh, and flying left, right, centre, up and down, it is important that our controllers know where he is and certainly if there's any significant changes that he needs to make to his flight plan due to weather, for example, um, we've had that in previous years. Um, no Cyclone Tracy for a couple of years, obviously, here in Australia now, but um, he's able to he's able to log on to the um, the online pilot briefing service uh, via our website and just like you know, hundreds of other pilots flying around on Christmas Eve, update, amend, change, uh, lodge a completely new flight plan if he needs to. Uh, that goes straight into our um, uh, Australian Flight Information Centre in Brisbane and that information is then gatewayed out to, uh, to to our relevant tower controllers and en route controllers all around the country. So uh, it, it is a good system to have and it's what any good pilot on the fly should have access to if they can manage it. One, one quick question on there is uh, it's available for iPhone. Any plans to make it available for Android? We are always looking at uh, new ways of making the uh, the data available. Um, I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head uh, wh- whether Android is close, near or far, but certainly uh, we're closely monitoring what technology pilots uh, want to use to access our, some of our online um, online data products and online services. And uh, we have a we have a business group that is is looking at those as the pilot community moves to adopt new technology. Um, uh, whether you know, back in the days when it was a mobile phone versus wireless logging to the internet, uh, we want to be up, up up with that process as well to be able to give them as many options as possible to uh, to get information from air services and to provide information to us.
Cool. Well, I vote one Android because that's what I use. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> well, and it's one of the cool things about, uh, you know, visiting to Australia because our air traffic system is uh, quite modern by world standards, isn't it? Yeah, look, it is. We, we provide a lot of uh, a lot of information um, and a lot of systems assistance uh, and a lot of systems designed to, uh, to, to our colleagues in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, we have a very close relationship, obviously, with our colleagues uh, across the Tasman at, at Airways New Zealand. Uh, in, in fact, we're working with them to, um, to get them uh, to assist us with a couple of new uh, air traffic control towers we're, we're building around Australia at the moment. We've got new towers going up in Melbourne, in Rockhampton and in, in Adelaide and um, the, uh, those towers are based on a model from, uh, from Airways New Zealand. They've spent a fair bit of, uh, fair bit of time modernising their uh, project management capability and uh, we think we've got some, uh, some lessons we can learn from that as well uh, and we can help. Um, we're also doing a lot of work up in Indonesia and PNG to help modernise their air traffic control systems and their aeronautical information systems, including working on uh, on developing some training packages for their air traffic controllers and even doing things like providing equipment where we can to assist uh, particularly our friends up in um, up in Papua New Guinea. Most of the aircraft which transit to and from Australia particularly from Asia and um, and the Middle East obviously transit through those adjoining blocks of airspace to the north of the Brisbane Flight Information Region so from our point of view it makes perfect sense from, from both a safety point of view uh, and an efficiency point of view to, to ensure that the people who are managing those blocks of airspace are, are best placed to be able to do that and be able to exchange information uh, between the two of us about um, what's heading in either direction and some of those projects are quite advanced and uh, there'll be a number of them also coming on stream during uh, 2011. Well uh, it's interesting you mentioned towers there Matt, uh, now just looking on the website here and uh, I guess like all good pilots uh, Santa is uh, obviously uh, make sure he's uh, very well prepared and it looks like he's been down here recently doing a bit of uh, bit of recce work and uh, it looks like he's had special access to uh, one of your towers. Yeah look that's right, Santa made a special visit uh, last weekend and he did a couple of things he dropped into uh, dropped into one of our towers, dropped into the uh, National Operations Centre here in Canberra to get a, a system-wide overview and to, to discuss his uh, his flight route in some more detail. And he also visited one of our aviation rescue and fire stations uh, uh, also to uh, just to make sure that should anything go wrong with the sleigh, particularly if a bit of uh, bit of maintenance is needed, um, he's able to drop on in and we're we're all set up, ready to go and uh, and ready to help him. Um, in, in the towers, he we were just checking that um, we've got his uh, his call sign sorted. Uh, this year, he's been given the call sign big red one uh, by the air traffic controllers uh, and that'll allow them to, to communicate with him quite freely as he's uh, as he's moving around on on Christmas Eve. Uh, so look, exciting times for everybody here at Air Services. It's uh, it's always a good day when uh, when you have Santa in the office and uh, it's generally speaking the only time that we actually get to see him uh, in person. Obviously on Christmas Eve the controllers are uh, talking to him frequently but um, although we see him on the radar, uh, Santa's very, very hard to spot on Christmas Eve as, as anybody who stayed up late will know. It, um, it just doesn't work that way unfortunately. I imagine it would, at the speeds he would have to be moving, it would make for a very interesting uh, paint on the radar screen. Look, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we, the, the, the ADSB obviously broadcasts his call sign, his position, his altitude, his velocity, and, and a range of other data, how much the reindeer are consuming and emitting, for example, um, a couple of times a second. And that allows us to make sure that uh, we, we, will, we have him operating in a fairly clear block of airspace, particularly around some of the busier capital city airports on the east coast and when he gets over near Perth. Uh, but, but apart from those areas, um, we're, we're a little bit more comfortable about letting the reindeer have their head, shall we say, and uh, making uh, best use of the airspace as, as they see fit. So uh, flexible use of airspace is a big one for us. Now, if the controllers are uh, making the odd call to a big red one, uh would that be heard on liveatc.net? I know there's a couple of uh, Australian feeds that go out on the net, so just wondering if any of the kiddies, if they're, if they're doing the naughty and trying to stay up late, whether they should uh, have live ATC playing in the background. 
Unfortunately for the kiddies, perhaps, um, we, we have a dedicated encrypted channel to the sleigh. So um, uh, we, we do occasionally get reports from pilots that something just went past fairly quickly, a thousand feet below and uh, three nautical miles laterally to the right. And so, well, yes, don't you worry about that. Just keep going. But uh, unfortunately, there's no known way to eavesdrop on the communications between the uh, between the en route controllers and the sleigh. But rest assured, we're in communication with Santa. He did ask us to mention to all the kiddies who, who may be listening to this program that, um, of course, he doesn't come to houses where, where children are still awake. So the message, as always, is is, is probably uh, get to bed early, uh, leave out the cookies and milk if you get a chance, uh, and maybe some carrots for the reindeer, but make sure you're tucked up in bed so uh, so Santa can, can get there and uh, leave some presents and be on his way, because he does have a fairly large world to cover once he leaves Australian airspace. Sounds like very sage advice indeed. Okay, well that's that's fantastic, uh, Matt Whitell from Air Services Australia. Well, it's always a bit of fun this time of year to uh, to put this sort of service out, and it's 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 a really good thing that Air Services Australia does for uh, for the wider community. Uh, we really appreciate the amount of work that uh, you guys put in to uh, make it a fun time of year. You know, it's uh, obviously is a is a fun time of year for the kids, but uh, it also gives us big kids a bit of fun as well. So uh, we really thank you for coming on and having a bit of a chat to us today. No problems. It's a pleasure, and Merry Christmas to to you and all the listeners. Flight Experience 556, you're cleared for takeoff. Imagine sitting in a pilot's seat, flying past London Bridge or the Eiffel Tower, and landing at just about any airport. It's not just a flying experience, it's Flight Experience. From the roar of the engines to amazing visuals, Flight Experience puts you in control of a 737 flight simulator. It's so real, your senses actually believe you're flying. For more information, go online to flightexperience.com.au or call 1-800-737-800. Flight Experience, the ultimate flying experience experience. G'day, I'm Dave Gray. Are you a new show or a relatively new show that's trying to make your podcast sound great? Then you need to listen to Podcasters Emporium, a podcast that's by podcasters for podcasters. We'd be happy for you to join our community and be a part of what we call Podcasters Emporium. Join myself and James Williams as we explore podcasting and all its greatness. You can check out the show at podcastersemporium.com. I'm Stuart Stevenson, a.k.a. Pilot Stew of the Pilot's Journey Podcast. And I'm Mike Hart, a.k.a. Mike Stew. And I'm Stuart Stoll, a.k.a. CFI Stew. And we'd like to congratulate Grant and Steve on episode number 50 of the Plain Crazy Down Under Podcast. Now, on behalf of all Yanks, we'd like to know the answer to the burning question, exactly what is a... Crikey! And don't forget to enjoy the journey. And joining us in the studio from downwind.com.au is Michael Gilmore and Rosalind Gilmore. Hi, guys. G'day. How are you going? Welcome to the studio. We thought we'd have a bit of a chat today about uh, how things are going at Downwind and some of the things that have been happening. And I know we went to a barbecue at um, Rabin just recently that you held and we enjoyed some sausages and some great cheap flights. So it uh, looks like things are going well for you there. Yeah, it was a, it was a great time there. And uh, I think we had about, uh, was it 25-odd people? And uh, one of the great things was Rabin Flying Services helping out with the cheap check flights and TIFFs, which is 
fantastic. Yep. Now, you fly, obviously, um, you're a pilot yourself, and you fly out of there? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, one of the reasons why I end up flying at Moorabbin Flying Services is simply because they got new planes. And I found that uh, when you have passengers come on board, um, if you've got something that's 35 years old, they have a different reaction compared to when you've got something that's like 35 weeks old. And uh, so one of the things I saw was a big sign saying, new be- new aircraft from Moorabbin Flying Services. So I turned up to check flight. It's a few years ago now, and uh, haven't looked back. Great yeah. bunch of good people there. Yeah, and I uh, took advantage of one of those uh, flights that you'd organised uh, just the other day and uh, flew on one of their Warriors. They're only two or three years old, and I actually hear a rumour that they're looking at uh, getting rid of those and getting some more new ones. Yeah, I be- believe that is a rumour, but it is a rumour sub- with sub- some substance. So uh, tell us about Downwind now. It's about 12 months since we had you on last, and uh, of course last time we did that we spoke by Skype. We didn't have this sort of fancy studio here to talk in. Tell us about Downwind and uh, how you envisage it going and you know what's what's it basically aimed at? Yeah, I think that uh, like Downwind came with a passion that both Rosalind and I had for aviation and uh, we, we just fell in love with it. It's sort of like, I think that when you start flying, they inject you with some sort of a bug called the aviation bug and you can't get out of your system. And so we, uh, we I began uh, developing Downwind quite some time ago now and it's grown from, from strength to strength. And now we have about probably about 30% of the pilots in Australia or aviation enthusiasts in Australia are turning up to it each month, which is uh, which is pretty good. One of the things we try and do on the podcast here is, is uh, you know, it's all about community and trying to get people to participate in the community. And I guess uh, in conjunction, I mean, we do that by having our forum, for instance, on, yeah. on your website, but uh, it looks really like you're doing the, the website version of what we're trying to do here. Yeah, I, I think that for, from our side, we just want to have a real sense of community. There's a great lot of pilots out there. And one of the problems that can sometimes happen is you end up being sort of segmented off in your own little world and to be able to come to a place where you can ask the dumb questions not get yelled at and uh, and tap into a wealth of expertise of the community then uh, it's, it's great for example recently I asked the question I suffer from hay fever can I take Claritine and I got some great answers yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which always followed up with speak to your dame but <laughs> but they're really good answers and uh, lots of things on there that people can do and just ask questions questions, find out information, get just rub shoulders with other pilots and that's really what it's all about or just not just pilots but aviation enthusiasts. Do you have a lot of international uh, participation? Um, probably about 90% of the traffic is actually Australian. We specifically target the Australian market and uh, the result has been uh, most of the people are Australians are dealing with Australian issues. Uh, one day we may end up sort of embracing the international market more mm. but um, I think the Australians, they, we deal with a very unique situation where you could be flying for a long time before you get to the next airport compared to, say, somewhere like the US when they're like every 100 metres and then yeah, another airport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Rosalind? Uh, you're not a pilot. Are you a pilot? Or? Well, I've had my arm twisted up behind my back and uh, by Michael. <laughs> oh, that's not entirely true. <laughs> and uh, he suggested that it would probably be a really good idea for me to learn how to land the aircraft in case of emergency. Yeah. Um, I sort of hummed and hard about that for a while and the day I said, oh, yeah, I think it would be a good idea. I think he had me booked in on a, my first <laughs> lesson straight away. I, I think it was important, though, was it would be better for us both to live than 
both of us die. Yeah. Well, for instance, if you were to overdose on Claritone or something. It, like exactly that. right. Or hit an air pocket and bang my head and knock myself out. Yeah, more's the point. <laughs> yeah, more's the point. Yeah. So you're uh, doing your student licence at the moment then? Uh, I've set myself a goal to head to first solo and I'm, I'm well on my way. I think I've had about 11 lessons now and I've started doing circuits. So I'm at the, the very beginning yeah. uh, of learning to fly and absolutely loving it. Yeah, so, so you've been bitten by the bug as well? I have definitely been bitten uh, by the a, bug. That's a wonderful thing. I think it lives in the left-hand seat because it didn't happen until I got on that side of the, yeah. the aircraft. Yeah, I, I kept on trying to get Rosen to move from the right seat to the left seat. And uh, for the first few lessons, you only were in the right-hand seat. And I go, no, move to the left-hand seat. It's a bit different there. Yeah. And that's when the bug really gets you. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's interesting. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember back. I started flying in 1990, so it's been a little while now. But uh, maybe you could describe for us uh, how it felt the first time you got in the left seat, and uh, I guess in a, in a Piper Warrior. That's right. I'm in the Warrior, which is a lovely aircraft. And as Michael said earlier, I'd started off in the right-hand seat because uh, my instructor actually suggested that because I was comfortable flying from that side. And uh, after a while, Michael encouraged me to get in the left-hand side and I'd already decided by that time that I enjoyed it, so I thought, what the heck, I'll, I'll give it a go yeah. and loved it, absolutely loved it. I don't know. There's uh, the difference between sitting in the, the right-hand seat and the left-hand seat. I think I said to Michael is the difference between uh, reading a recipe and actually eating the, the, the final product. It's yeah. just um, amazing. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, for our international listeners, um, you know, particularly Americans who drive on the wrong side of the road, <laughs> Uh, you know, Australians here, of course, we drive on the right-hand side of the car, so, uh, you know, it's actually not a natural thing for us to get into the left-hand side of a vehicle to, to operate it, but uh, it's funny when you get, like, I've, I've mainly flown Cessnas, but, uh, you know, you don't even, never thought any different of it. You get in the left seat and away you go. Yeah, that's true, and then you taxi according to the American road rules. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Well, fortunately for me, I did my license in the States, so, you know, I, I can I can do both ways. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, well, I've had some experience driving in the States too, so yeah, yeah. Um, that's not too difficult for me yeah. either. Because, Michael, you're Canadian originally, aren't you? No, I'm actually Australian, but uh, I was I was uh, I grew up in northern Ontario. Right. Yeah, so from when I was one and a half to I was ten. So oh, I've okay. got this strange perverted accent. This hybrid accent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when I go to the US, which I go quite a number of times a year, I come back and it's sort of I slip back into the the, the, the horrible twang. But anyway, that's that's life. <laughs> Well, uh, you'll have to come in and uh, tell us about your first solo. I don't think anybody ever forgets their first solo. I did mine on April Fool's Day, 1990. I'll never forget it. I yeah. can even tell you the registration of the aircraft. <laughs> yeah, I flew in J-I-O. Yeah. Juliet, India, Oscar. Yeah, mine, and was, mine was N-A-J. I don't even know if that aircraft is still there. It was a Cessna 152. <laughs> well, I, I, I li- we live really close to Rabin Airport, and I was just listening to the radio chatter, as I always do, and I heard J-I-O sort of going across the top, and I put a smile on my face and go, yeah, that was the aircraft. <laughs> It's funny, isn't it, when you go to uh, when you go to Moorabbin, like there's still, particularly Royal Victorian Aero Club's aircraft, you look at some of those planes there and you think, geez, I'm sure I flew that back in the early 90s, you know. You and know. you'd be right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah they're, 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 a lot of those aircraft are really old. Um, when I went to Moorabbin Flying Services, I did my check flight in the Archer in, uh, MFS, Mike Park Sierra, and it was like, how can I put it? I was dumbstruck. One, it was really clean. It was new. 
I had on a thing called an autopilot, wow. which was really exciting. I had a glass screens, a twin Iverdyne system with twin Garmin 430s. And I'm looking at this and I'm feeling quite at home now because all my work is on computers. So I'm looking at the screens and I'm going, this looks more like it. Yeah. And uh, I loved it. And when when I got up in the air, the check flight was all about, okay, this is how you use the the um, autopilot and all that sort of stuff. And I loved it. And we flew that plane from Rabin to the Gold Coast and back and just had an absolute ball in it. How have you guys, um, I've been not as active in the flying side of things as I would have liked to have been lately, but uh, when I went up flying last Friday, it was actually my first experience flying in the Class D uh, airspace since they've changed it. I actually didn't find it was that much different. The the ground procedure seems... Uh, a lot more pedantic than it used to be, but uh, how's your experience with that? Yeah, I would agree with you. It's really not that much different. Um, the ground procedures are a bit more pedantic, but I th- I personally find it's a little bit better because there is an aspect of all the pilots before who were in some ways a bit of cowboys, some of them, they're now where they're forced to go through some new training and, hey, this is the Class D, remember this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they go through it. So I think the best thing that happened wasn't the fact that it moved to Class D, was the fact that all the pilots went and looked at their own skill set and upgraded it. Yeah. That was the thing that was most important. I think that's one of the things that we do in aviation that they don't do, for instance, uh, with the road rules and driving a car, is you are forced to do your BFO and you are forced to, to keep up with it. I mean, in the railways, we have to do the same with the trains. We have uh, uh, continuation training every six months that we've got to go through. And, uh, you know, it's, it's probably something that aviation could could teach to, uh, you know, the people that make the road rules in the various states is it wouldn't hurt everybody perhaps every five years to go back and, you know, just do a refresher course on how to drive a vehicle on the road. Yeah, well, they have the, the biannual check flight, don't they? So yeah. um, that's, you're supposed to be able to sort of get checked out and, yes, you're still safe to fly and all that sort of thing. But uh, my biggest issue with flying is how does the industry reduce the barriers to entry? How do we get more people to fly? How do we make it cheaper so existing pilots can fly more? And uh, I, I've often believed that, you know, CASA's um, big motto is safe, safer skies for all. I think it's this ridiculous motto because the ultimate safe skies is no one flying. Yeah. That's what Grant says all the time, you know, the safest skies are ones with no aircraft in it. But, yeah, uh, so I think the motto or the mission statement should be changed. So we should be safer skies for more. Yes. So more flying, more pilots, more people up in the air and that sort of stuff, which means that then they then have the mission statement of how do we make this cheaper? How do we get people to fly more? Yeah, well, I think that's, that's one of the things it even back when I started flying 20 years ago was the same then but it's it's much more the case now where it's you know there's the perception out there in the general community that it's it's a rich boys game I and, wish. <laughs> yeah you know and it's it's more and more becoming that way now there's so many more uh, landing fees and ch- user charges that weren't there even back 20 years ago uh, and it's a it's a real concern here that we often talk about is is the cost impost that the the government keeps putting on with the idea of safety but I, I think Australia is manic yeah. when it comes to safety yeah. Yeah, sorry to interrupt but I, I really do think we are is that we're after the 0.0001% of increase in safety by tracking widget number 23 on SPA 4 and all that sort of stuff when really they could get probably a 20% increase in safety if the pilots just flew more yeah, that's a good point and you know it's, it's so expensive I mean what does it cost at Marabin now you hire a warrior you're looking at 185 $190 an hour solo oh yeah and that's at a, least that's a huge amount of money the idea that your average guy off the street could afford to do that on any sort of regular basis uh, is, is, is just diminishing. Yeah, I think the aspiration should be is how do we get the world of the Jetsons where you jump in your plane, you fly off to work? How do we get that? And all the systems that have been built up um, around the aviation industry have been contrary to that aspiration. As an, as an example,
whole uh, the whole whole um, controlled traffic and everything like that. You've got people sitting at seats individually talking to other people, and you can only talk one at a time. Like what a bizarre situation that is. Uh, why isn't there a like I come from the computer industry? Why isn't there an internet address in every single aircraft where the air traffic controller can draw on your screen exactly where you're supposed to fly? Why can't they taxi the aircraft for you? You've got an override switch, but why can't they do these things? All the technology is sitting there, but it's so bogged down in, dare I say, 1950s and 1960s engines and aircraft and all that sort of stuff, that there's a, um, a huge cost impost in then impose where there's much safer, much cheaper and safer ways of doing things. Well, I think that's that would be the, the biggest uh, problem there with implementing any sort of extra technology like that would be the cost of it. But uh, one of the interesting things that I've found since I've come in to do the podcast and, and really started to re-engage with the industry is I've noticed the rise of the RAOs yeah. aircraft and the level of technology that you see in those aircraft by comparison to what you're seeing uh, in, in some of the, the older GA fleet is amazing. Absolutely. That is true. But, you know, sometimes you sort of think about, yeah, there's huge cost imposts of implementing new technology. I've got sitting on the desk right here my iPhone my iPhone is an internet address and I can have that in the plane with me and it's my GPS it's everything why don't we go along and just give to every pilot as a part of their training an iPhone all of the signals can be tra- transmitted back to a centralized database and as a GA pilot I can look on my iPhone and guess what I can see everyone there I can see all the other planes around me mm. I can do it on Steve Jobs very happy I'm sure oh, absolutely like I'm going to use an example of an iPhone but you know what in the end I built the technology to do this uh, another guy and I we just put it together. We said, this is stupid. Um, why can't we have something that's really, really cheap, which is the equivalent of radar? Um, and, and away we went. Well, that's interesting. We've just had a recent podcast where there's been a, a debate on the implementation of ADSB and, and some of the, the technologies actually that they're leaving out in Australia when they're implementing that, which I found interesting. You know, some of the American, I think the Americans are getting a system that's far more capable than what we're getting here. Yeah, look, there's pros and cons to all different types of technologies and everything. Um I just think that there's some very, very cheap and efficient options out there in many of the other industries are embracing that the aviation industry isn't. I'm still trying to work out why it is that I'm flying with an engine that's been designed in the 1950s and it costs me 30000 to $40,000 to replace when I can go along and get a brand new modern engine for a motor vehicle, which is far more efficient, far better and all that sort of stuff, and it cost me two grand. Yeah. And why is it that a 100 hourly costs between five dollars to $7,000 in some cases um, to be able to maintain uh, your aircraft when I can go along, if I got the same thing for my motor vehicle, you'd be having a heart attack. Why is it costing more than 300 bucks to get it serviced? Yeah, or well, seven grand and pr- probably worth more than what my car's worth. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> it's, it's, com- it's completely nuts. I don't understand these things. And once again, I come from the external, from the computing world and that sort of stuff, the internet world, and, and I see some of these costs and everything and dealing with the old technology. And I, I scratch my head and I ask really dumb questions. And I'm sure lots of other pilots out there would then sort of beat me over the head with a stick saying, well, it's for safety and all this sort of stuff. But I'm thinking this, presumably we have progressed since the 1950s. Getting back to downwind, I mean, do you have a lot of, uh, is there a lot of talk on the website about that in the pilot forum and, and other places like that? Yeah, there, there is more. Um, it's, it's happening all the time that people are asking questions. And one of the difficulties I think I've seen in, in dare I say, some other forums and things like that is that people ask the dumb questions like, why is my, uh, why am I flying a 35-year-old technology aircraft or something like that versus something new? And they ask those questions. In some places, they get beaten up for asking those questions. And we like to be embracing. We ask all the stupid questions. 
come on down when ask the stupid question and the worst thing that's going to be said to you is these are the reason why it's a silly question <laughs> yeah well I mean the good thing about doing all of this sort of new media stuff is that it allows you to uh, you know learn, and we're quite upfront about it here we're not experts in our field we're just enthusiasts like the rest of them we try to get people onto this show when we want a specialist area covered who do have that knowledge and I think that uh, you know particularly on a website where it's it's there on a screen for people to read that's an advantage if we can get more people particularly um, airline pilots and flying instructors can come into the forum participate and if people ask what they might consider to be a dumb question well it probably isn't it's probably a question that you know hundreds of other people have wanted to ask and this gives them the opportunity particularly on a forum like it down when we you know it gives people the opportunity to do that and, and hopefully they can they can do it with an you know from anonymity if they want to and uh, get those you know get that information that they need and it's all about learning and it's like I say it's all about coming together as a, as a community it's only a small community in Australia when it comes to aviation so uh, it's in all our interest that we sort of stick together and pull our resources no, I completely agree with you it's um, I just think that uh, the aviation community needs to work together like we have this whole sort of scenario of GA versus RAA, yeah, and uh, there's almost to be a bit of snobbery on both sides. But you know what? When I get in the air and I'm coming to an airport and I'm doing a radio call, I don't say, and I hear another one back to me, I don't say, well, hang on a second, is that an RAA aircraft or is that a GA aircraft? Because I'm only going to speak to the uh, GA aircraft. No, they're pilots. We're all pilots and we're all in the air, air together and enjoying the air together. Let's embrace the whole lot. Let's bring us all in. And that's really been the philosophy of Downwind is, hey, let's let's learn from each other. Let's work together to a better outcome for us all. Uh, it's actually an interesting story that in one of our um, recent uh, chats we have with Bill Hamilton, who's a, an ex-Qantas pilot with uh, 30,000 plus hours, I think, and he related a story to us about where he'd been berated at, uh, at an airport by uh, a commuter airline pilot or something because he hadn't done something didn't suit him or something like that and they had no idea who they were speaking to it turns out that they were berating a pilot that was far more experienced than them but because they were in a GA aircraft instantly they had that sort of stigma attached but really let's face it we all come from GA at some point there's very few that haven't and that would only be military pilots yeah so um, you know it always it always pays and for those that are at the high levels I mean uh, they have a real opportunity to help the rest of us that aren't at that level yeah, yeah I think recreational aviation does an outstanding job what they do I think general aviation does a great job what, what that does yeah, but once again, I say we're all pilots, and we're all pilots together. And there needs to be the less the snobbery uh, between all the different groups of different types of pilots. No, I come from the RAF. No, I'm flying seven four seven. For heaven's sakes, when I flew into um, the Gold Coast, I had a seven three seven in front of me, was a seven six seven behind me, and me in the middle of my little Piper Archer. And you know what? They had to give way to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pilot, and uh, they're pilots, and we need to respect obviously the rules and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, when you sit down, you still all have the same joy, and that's called being in the air. I'll tell you the, the really the really cool thing that we found through doing this podcast, coming across pilots is particularly military pilots who you would expect. I mean, we were up at Ambly a couple of weeks ago talking to F-111 pilots who quite rightly would be, you know, could probably claim to be, you know, of the elite and all the rest. And, you know, you yeah. think, oh, I'm not worthy and all the rest. Just, you know, down to earth, men and women. You know, it was all they wanted to do. They realised that there's people there with a common interest in aviation, and it was it was fantastic. And we talked to a lot of airline pilots too. In fairness, and we're not here bagging airline pilots, but we no, talked to a lot of airline pilots that are just the same. I mean, it's some it's interesting. I work in the railways, and in the railways, it's almost unfashionable to enjoy what you do. But in the aviation side, I think at that base level, everybody has a love for aviation. No, I completely agree with you on that. I, I think the the important thing is that whenever you have a large group of people, you'll always get a minority which are very vocal 
people who are just whingers. Yeah, and they'll complain and they'll they'll say all sorts of stupid things and all that sort of stuff. Just ignore them and just move on with the great majority which have this passion for flying. And that's what it's all about. Just coming back to downwind, um, many people probably don't realize is that my wife, Rosalind, who's sitting next to me here, she actually is the one that puts the newsletter out every week. So when you receive a newsletter every single week from downwind, she's the one. She's the one that puts it all together. You may want to tell us a few things about the newsletter. Well, I love putting the newsletter together because it means I get to trawl through the site and I'm working, (laughs) (laughs) which is great, and uh, find out what everybody's interested in at that particular point in time, whether it's students students coming up to their exams and asking some last minute panicky questions or people asking for advice of where's a great place to visit. Um, I get to have a look and see what everybody's interested in and and, uh, grab um, snippets of information and collate it and put it all together. Some of the blogs are great too. Yes, some of the blogs are really, really good. (laughs) I always put in a latest article, whatever's new for the week, put that up into the newsletter so people can have a bit of an idea of what's going on. And we've got a lot of um, people who put up information about what they like to do, how they're progressing on their training, uh, where they've been. So it's a good reading. Yeah, yeah some of the um, some of the tales of where people can take themselves in an aircraft these days, particularly when they get into some of the far flung places where yeah. you know most most of us flying around the major GA airports if you're living in the city. But it's always interesting to get out to the country and find some of these out of the way remote strips, isn't it? And uh, you know, it's good if people tell their stories about that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm always amazed. Some of the stories that are coming through are um, like people flying to uh, Lake Eyre or f- uh, flying up in the middle of nowhere, and they're just flying away in their little yeah. Cessna or Warrior or something like that and they, they've been writing on Downwind about their adventure and they have all photos and stuff and it, and it inspires you to do the same Yeah, because mm. you sort of get your license you say what do I do now and you take your friends up and they realise that and you suddenly realise that them putting the 20 bucks in for the petrol really didn't go that far yeah. <laughs> and, and you sort of think well what do I want to do now I, I want to go and explore and it's one of the things that both Rose and I are looking looking at is we see our kids are getting older and older and we're thinking well you know what when they end up leaving home we're going to explore Australia from the air and just go everywhere and we'll, we'll have a great time doing it I really like um, taking a look at the photos some of the photos that they've uploaded have oh, been amazing. absolutely fantastic and uh, you can spend quite a bit of time just flicking through all the photos that have um, been put on the website and that's quite inspirational as well. So uh, you know, I, I guess one of the things we found since we started this podcast is it sort of started as a hobby and it's become a bit of a full-time occupation. As I guess uh, with the newsletter, I mean, it's quite detailed. You obviously put a lot of uh, many hours a week into it. Uh, that's usually my Friday job. I spend the whole day Friday um, going through and gathering all the information and putting it together and then sending it out, hopefully before everybody goes, knocks off on Friday for the weekend. Yeah, we, we're, we're, a lot of work goes into that. But um, the thing that we find is the people who are creating a lot of the content is the, the members themselves. Mm. They're, they're writing about their real experiences. I'm just having a look here actually as we're talking and I'm looking at uh, Damien Rose who's been in our program. Uh, uh, he actually sends us uh, quite a lot of his uh, cockpit audio which is quite interesting. So uh, He's amazing. Yeah. He is absolutely amazing. He, he's, he's talked about from when he first started flying right through to where he is at the moment. And it's just incredible. Um, just his journey he's gone on just to follow that it's inspirational like you look at someone like that and we all complain about the costs and everything like that with the industry and where it's going but you look at someone like that and they're inspiring yeah and you move to sell your house (laughs) oh like it's a huge move and uh, but he's grabbed it with both hands and he just said that's what I'm going to do yep 
Yeah, one of the other things Rosalind digs up is a every week is a video on YouTube on, on some great aviation-related feat. And uh, there's one the one up there at the moment is of a of girl, um, Jessica Cox, who she doesn't have any arms. She was born without arms, and she's flying. She flies completely with her feet, and it's the most incredible video you've ever seen uh, of her just flying away, just with her feet. You may sort of say, "Well, what does she do with the rudder and all that sort of stuff?" Well, it's a particular plane she flies, and it allows her to do that. It explains it in the in the video. But um, so every week there's a, a highlighted video and that sort of thing. Inside of Downwind, there's a whole stack of stuff we haven't had um, time to cover now. But um, there's directories of um, uh, of really good aviation uh, places to go to, and in, in terms terms of like where should I go for a good lamey where should I go for um, to hire aircraft all that sort of stuff aviation companies and you can actually then review them so if you've had a great experience then review the company and to let other people know about it um, there's nothing worse particularly if you're flying interstate and you need to go to somewhere and um, say to um, for a particular reason you're thinking am I dealing with a good company or a bad company mm. just look it up um, we have aircraft search we have every VH registered aircraft in Australia is in the aircraft search search area and once again you can review the aircraft so if you're looking at hiring a particular aircraft take a look at, look at the review first or if you have hired an aircraft review it just let people know this is a piece of junk don't fly it or this is really good I had a great experience with hiring from these people yeah, yeah. let's highlight the good operators and dare I say denigrate the bad ones so they pick up their game so then there's this airfield directory there's a lot of the airfields are in there and we're wanting to add more and more to it there's flyways and, and, and things like that so if you're thinking of a good destination or if you've been on a good destination do a brief little sort of synopsis of what did you do there and put it up for other people's benefits or if you're looking at a place to go to have a read um there's a shop. Um, in fact, we're looking at expanding the shop. Um, we're trying to find a good, reputable shop that can work with us so we can do lots of sales for them. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it may, we laugh at that, but let me tell you, it is really hard to find one in Australia. I'm at the point right now of going to the US and setting up a deal with a US company because for some reason, and maybe there could be an Australian one out there who would love to be able to work with us. If they do, give us a call. Yeah. We'd love to work with them. Yeah, we'll, have, we'll advertise them as well. What a, no problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell them, like, hey, give us a call. Give you guys a call. But uh, we're finding today it's been really difficult to find a um, a progressive thinking Australian aviation store who would like to work with someone like us. Oh, well, maybe that's a, a goal we can all pursue between us over the next uh, the coming 12 months. Yeah, because the, the marketplace we've set up and the, the, the shop and everything is that anyone who's got an aviation product can have an instant presence and they have their own store and they can be selling stuff online. A bit like an eBay for uh, pilots. We've got the eBay store side. We also have the shop side. So, like, for instance, the, the rank and file um, pilot can say, look, I don't need this headset anymore, so I will um, I can put it up online on Downwind and sell it. But there's also people who are in the industry can then have their own internet presence in a place that's getting a lot of traffic and can be selling their products. Um, so it's it's all turnkey solution. Okay, now let's talk about uh, we're coming to the end of 2010, so we've got 2011 coming up. Now, um, I did like the barbecue idea the other day. I think you should have more of those. Yes. So uh, what sort of events? Have we got any events coming up on the calendar for Downwind for the new year? Or? Um, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Like the, the barbecue was a great success. And from that, the, and the feedback from it was, yes, need to run some more Downwind events. And one of the things we really want to do, though, is work with people in other states. Like, great, we've, we have 
Melbourne covered, but why can't we run a, a, an event in in Adelaide or Brisbane or Sydney or something like that? And a lot of these, a lot of the the hassles with doing it is actually promoting it to the the, the community. So if anyone wants to run a quotation marks downwind event in Sydney or Adelaide or somewhere, then let us know and we'll promote it for you. Yeah, and we'll we'll certainly do our best to promote it here on the podcast as well. And uh... yeah, anything to get pilots together. But uh, in terms of us putting one together, we will definitely be doing another one early in the new year um, in the first couple of months um, talking to the guys at Raven Flying Services um, it's very likely we may have a similar sort of um, deal yeah. deal on offer to help people help people fly more well that's the whole goal isn't it is to get people in you know we were talking before about uh, some changes in the industry that are detrimental and one of the one of the things is it's hard to do dream building with kids anymore because you, the, the, the good airports are all fenced off they can't get anywhere near them but and you can't sit up in the cockpit with a pilot of a, of a 747 anymore either. Well, that's true, but I mean, on a GA basis, when you have barbecues like you had the other day, it gets people to get together. You can get out on the ramp, have a look at the planes, touch and feel them, and if you can get your get your kids down there, I know Grandpa his son, who's already an aviation addict anyway, but I mean, you know, get kids down there and get them inspired, and, and even bigger kids like us. I completely agree with that. We, our son, for instance, um, he, he wanted to do a work experience at Moorabbin, and the school said, sorry, you're not allowed to because it's too dangerous. And we're saying, what? What yeah. about too dangerous? That's just ridiculous. Sorry, you can't do it so what we ended up doing was we took him out of school <laughs> and then we went to the place he did the work experience with and said look we'll indemnify you of anything because we know it's safe yeah like i would rather him be working at a flying school for a week and doing work experience than working on some vehicles or on the roads or something like that like he's more likely to get killed driving to the blown work experience than he would and um actually going up in the aircraft I, and i think that's that's a real shame because we need to inspire our kids we have become a bit of a nanny state haven't oh, we that way tell me about it like is this where's the personal responsibility don't you start me on that one I'll, I'll be here yeah. for the rest of the day it might take up we might save that for another one yes. well, uh, Michael and Rosalind it's been a pleasure to have you here in the studio it's uh, folks the website is downwind.com.au there's a, a really great pilots forum there of course uh, we host ours there as well so we love it. hosting it by the way oh well, well thanks very much it's, it's certainly saved us of having to manage it so we really appreciate that Rosalind we want to have you back and uh, at least on Skype and tell us about your first solo when that happens thanks very much I'm looking forward to it yeah. and hope it happens real soon. We wish you all the best and uh, let's see if we can't make you perhaps the uh, the next Damien Rose. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Cheers guys, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks a lot. All the best. Thank you. Pilots, prepare, refresh and renew at Flight City. Whatever stage of your career, Flight City makes up keeping and enhancing your skills easy and economical with their two state-of-the-art flight simulators. The fixed base simulator replicates a Boeing 777 and the full motion simulator can be a Seminole, King Air or Citation. Trust Flight City simulators and instructors to help you train for sim checks. Prepare to fly a bigger aircraft, renew your type rating, do the jet orientation training course and more. See flightcity.com.au or visit Flight City at Jan. Hi, I'm Anthony Simmons from The View from the Lounge, and as 2010 rapidly draws to a close, I'd like to thank all of the Plain Crazy Down Under podcast listeners, and especially those listeners that have commented or provided feedback for my small and meagre little contribution. Safe and merry festive season, and a very prosperous 2011. And that's something I think we all can drink to. It's beginning to go a lot like crap.
Christmas all around the world. I hope I've got another bottle of that. Hi everyone and Merry Christmas from Flight Time Radio to all the plane crazy down under listeners. This is Charlie. Milford is out right now helping Santa pre-flight his sleigh. At least that's what he told me. Truth probably is he's just standing there with his hands in his pockets. We wanted to take a minute to send our well wishes to all and hope this wonderful season finds everyone well. You know in the midst of Christmas shopping, planning parties, and trying to figure out which new plane to start selling to your wife, we sometimes forget what this holiday is all about. Our prayer is that we take a moment and remember it really is about our Savior. Merry Christmas, everyone, and a Happy New Year from the guys of Flight Time Radio. Milford! Milford, leave the reindeer alone. They don't need their oil checked. With Milford out there helping, I'm afraid the gifts might be late this year. This is Monica Petrillo, the director and producer of the documentary film Flyabout. I want to wish you happy holidays and a wonderful new year, during which you surprise yourself by giving wings to a secret dream. See you around. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Podcast Network. Thevoicesinyourhead.com Interesting discussion and a very interesting comment on uh, every pilot should be given an iPhone. Uh, how many people in this room have iPhones? With five people. Adam's got one in the back. Adam's got Some one. Some guy in the stalls has got one. And ATC Ben's got one. You've got a Crackberry. I've got an Android. You now have an Android I have tablet. a mega Android here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Size and everything, mate. Yeah. Uh, and... I, th- I think you know. I think it's more that uh, what should be made available is the software for free for anyone with a smartphone. Yeah, I know your phone just goes ring ring, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Is, is well, st- why don't you give me a call? Yeah. <laughs> is, is, is yours actually a mobile phone, or is it still attached to the wall? It was attached to the wall, and then I got about two point five kilometres. It's out an embar- when he goes to work, it's an embarrassment. He's got a trail, <laughs> trail like three hundred kilometres of extension lead behind him. <laughs> I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> well, um, it's interesting you talk about that, Grant, uh, the iPhone concept, and uh, the one person that's not on the show today, unfortunately, is Baz Sheffers. Baz was going to be on, but unfortunately, due to some inclement weather in deepest, darkest. South Australia, where he's on holidays with his family at the moment. He's uh, unable to uh, join us, but uh, he's been developing an application. In fact, it's just been released for the iPhone that has all your uh, all your charts and all that sort of stuff in it. So there's at least that technology available already on the iPhone. I know a few pilots who are doing some development in, um, in the Android platform as well. And uh, you may have... So those of you who are paying attention during our chat to air services may note that I asked if they were going to do an Android version of NAPES and they're keeping an eye on it. We'll see what happens. But with Android last year, uh, Android-based platform phones outsold um, iPhone-based platform phones in the US. So there's a chance for us yet, I'd say. Uh, Android growing and growing, that uh, pretty soon it will be worthwhile developing on Android. Well, uh, Ben, you've got a commercial pilot's license, haven't you? I mean, uh, how, how would you go uh, 
of flying around and uh, looking up and down at your iPhone or, or even a tablet or an iPad, for instance, do you think that would be a viable option or um, some other sort of technology built into the cockpit, some some hybrid, I guess, of what uh, Michael was talking about there? I think he was just using the iPhone as a theoretical example, but some sort of technology similar to that. I wouldn't probably go as far as what, what Michael was taking with, with control instructions and things like that. That really needs a, a voice medium well, that's, that's... To, to, to be fast enough and, and nimble enough. I mean, just, just the way the hum, a human works just, it's as far as audio commands and things like that rather than translating what's in the what's in the screen I mean, just we, imagine getting airways clearance and all that how hard is it now you're sitting there waiting for airways clearance you finally get this gap on the ground control frequency and they read back this bloody great airways clearance to you that you then have to read back to them again and, and make it correct well what would be handy is you're getting a long start clearance for instance or, or you know an IFR clearance something like that where you were still given it audibly by the controller but then there was some sort of um, method of getting a, a text version of that in the cockpit Save having to write it down for the readback. Yeah, we, well, the airliners already do have a, a similar system to that um, using uh, what they call the ACARS system, the aircraft communications system that a- they aircraft have. Aircraft communications, and I can't remember the acronym system. That's, that's the one. <laughs> that's the one right there. That, that's where you're supposed to be looking it up on Google really fast oh, so I can oh, find sorry. it. Oh, yeah, sorry. With a grin. That's right. Too busy typing to someone else. Sorry. That's right. <laughs> my, my, my kung fu is obviously not good enough, but... <laughs> And but in an airliner, you can actually print. What they normally do is print it out. Yeah. So what, it actually that, comes out of the printer, like a little docket receipt, that, like a little receipt thing, like a receipt printer. And and they they rip it off, and then they've actually got a hard copy in. But their the hand. upshot is that <laughs> so what winds up happening is that would be great to have for lighter aircraft, you know, like twins and singles and all that, doing IFR routing and so on. So, to, so they're not clogging up the channel, so it's easy to read back and control. And in fact, the next level up that they're ta- talking about taking that to is where you'd turn on your aircraft, the computerized systems on board would go through the setup you'd say where you want to go you'd get your uh, airways clearance but you'd also get your taxi routing on the airport and that would also come up on the screen and uh, it would all be done without it having you know you could do it all without actually having to talk to someone and, and they're even talking about giving you a takeoff clearance via these systems uh, that, this is a long time down the future this is this is from the same group of people who having now now bought us uh, the concept of next gen are also going on to the concept of virtual towers which is where you don't have a control tower at the airport you have a, a series of cameras and ground control ground mapping radar and the actual people running the tower are running three or four towers at the same time somewhere else geographically located just like air services currently have uh, the two the whole of Australia covered by two locations one in Brisbane one in Sydney sorry one in Melbourne with all the um, the en route control and so on being done that way. So imagine virtual towers as well. You didn't have to create a tower at Dubbo. You just have these guys in Sydney who are running three towers at Dubbo, Alice Springs and... Um yeah. It, it is coming. Yeah, that's one of the projects that we actually have going at work at the moment. They're talking to, uh, I believe it's the Swedes that mm-hmm. have the original system. Yep. And uh, we're looking at developing that. Uh, Alice Springs is going to be one of the trial locations. I mean, a trial in a very loose sense because the cameras will be there and the remote tower will be there, but there'll still be the controllers in the tower that will actually be doing the work. But the guys in the in the virtual tower will be doing what they call ghosting yeah. and. Control pretending to control the tra- traffic, doing exactly what the real controllers are doing. If you go, if you go uh, x amount of years down the track to where that system is up and running, and and there there is no backup in the control tower, what redundancy are they going to have if if something were to go wrong? Th- that's the big question at the moment. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah that's it's a very big can of worms at the moment for that sort of thing because huh. there is no redundancy as far as. Yeah, in the real world, if yeah. if the radio falls over, well, you've still got an actual person 
who can go and shoot various signals, you know, do the, the light like, like, like guns, handheld hand hand radios, yeah. whatever, you know. Whereas obviously, yeah, if, if the comms link drops out and, you know, you're doing Alice Springs Tower yeah. and you're doing it from Melbourne, well, you yeah. got you got to have to drive really, really fast. Ask, <laughs> ask the Kiwis what that was like with um, with the recent earthquake in Christchurch. Um, they're now rethinking their, all their eggs in one basket and thinking maybe we should open a second centre um, for the North Island, one for the South Island. They can both cover for each other if there's a massive earthquake and or something goes wrong and take because everything in New Zealand is in Christchurch and we got that when we were chatting with Dan he was saying there was some some rumblings and fallouts from from the uh, earthquake that didn't just relate to falling masonry. Yes, yeah, all, all their domestic controls in Christchurch and all their oceanic controls in Auckland. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how that works exactly, but well, unlike, um, unlike here with air services, where you've got people who are trained on northern sectors as well as southern sectors in Melbourne, so if something goes wrong with Brisbane control everything could be routed into the uh, everything into, yes into, into the simulator yeah and you've got people that you can call up and bring in and, and on staff who can handle it whereas in new zealand because you've got domestic in the south and oceanic in the north you don't have people up north ready to take over domestic and vice versa if something goes wrong correct yeah correct so that was, that's whereas here is you know you, you won't have a rating on a melbourne sector or yeah. i won't have a rating on a brisbane sector for example yeah but i could jump into a brisbane sector and at least stop the blips from hitting each other. <laughs> so as, as, as a contingency measure, you know, at least somebody's doing something. I think, what did you say a little while before? Um, stop them scraping paint. That's yeah. right. No rivet yeah. showers. Yes, that's right. <laughs> stop, stop them trading paint and... Um, no rivet showers. And no rivet no. showers, that's right. Hello, Jeremy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and we should mention, Jeremy, and uh, Jeremy, we were needling you with your wonderful suggestion of 50 for 50, and uh, we just want to thank Jeremy Peck for his uh, $50 donation. Thank you very much. And I think we're drinking it right now, as a matter of yeah, fact. Yeah, we are having a few drinks of that <laughs> that's right. And, and, and I believe it was 100 for 100, so I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> yeah, he did mention something about that, didn't he? But, uh, so but yeah. Start saving, Peggy. I know which other podcast you listen to, and in the morning to you, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, definitely um, thanks to uh, Mr. Peck. Uh, it was a great idea, 50 for 50. Hello, hint, hint, everyone who's listening. But, uh, yeah, he did He did come up with the idea, and he did follow through on it. So thank you for Legend. Peggy. Appreciate it. Very appreciate it. And to everybody else who's uh, sent in donations this year, we haven't really been plugging the donations so much this year because we're playing commercials and I, I personally feel very uncomfortable asking our listeners except for Pecky of course to uh, stick their hands in their pockets and give us money <laughs> but there have been a few in particular our, our anonymous donor from Canberra yep Major uh, thanks there. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of the things that we've been able to do this year are, are pretty much courtesy to him and to our, uh, our wonderful advertisers. So a uh, uh, big thanks to them, and we're going to get to some shout-outs uh, uh, very shortly. Uh, before we do that, though, guys, uh, I've got another greeting here that came in from our good friend at the Airplane Geeks, Dan Webb. Really? Let's have a listen. Well, uh, hello, Stephen Grant. It's Dan Webb from Airplane Geeks. I uh, I could be mean here after a um, certain, how do I put this, Christmas segment recorded by two uh, unnamed Australian podcasters, but no, I'm gonna take the high road here and uh, wish the both of you guys a very happy uh, new year, and uh, also congratulate you on your 50th episode. Uh, as a co-host on a show that's been around for a bit longer, it's kind of, how do I put it, um, cute to watch another show uh, begin to grow. Um, but but seriously, I mean, you guys just started out as a tiny little segment on Airplane Geeks, and then you, you grew and, and made play crazy down under, and now you, you, you're all successful, and it's just so heartwarming to, to watch you guys grow up. And it's just... There are no words. But seriously, um, congratulations, guys, on your 50th episode, and uh, 
Here's to a very successful and fun 2011 for playing crazy down under and airplane geeks. Uh, good old Dan Webb, the young fella. And of course, we've got to be nice to Dan because, as we've said quite often, he's going to end up running an airline one day. And we, we just like him to give Uncle Steve and Uncle Grant and Uncle Ben and, uh, and Uncle Anthony all high-paying executive jobs at whatever yeah. airline he's running. So. And whatever airline it is, it's got to have a lot of slack in the uh, schedules because um, uh, the plane is... Um, uh, yeah, it's, I'm leaving um, pretty... Uh, oh, it's gone. <laughs> poor, poor Dan. We, we do, do do like to make fun of Dan, but uh, he, he's a top guy. And he's, I'm uh, sorry, but I'll... Um, I'll be on the ground. You're not going to fly. You're not going to fly right, on so, Dan here. So no. while they're they're busy making fun of uh, making fun of Dan, you're, you're going to do some more crawling on the on the chance that Dan Air will hire you. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Vision with a V, by the way, Dan. That's right. And, and Dan, I, I do have my commercial ticket. It's not current, but I can fix that problem. <laughs> Same here. And mine's American, so you know. <laughs> Hello. Why are we all looking at the camera like Dan's actually watching? Yeah, and there we go. Well, actually, while we're talking about airplane geeks, so one of the really uh, really great segments that's, that's recently come. Is, is Peter Johnson from the UK uh, doing his uh, Across the Pond segment and uh, well, we've had quite a few chats with Peter on, on the phone in fact he, he helped us with uh, the Australia desk for uh, episode 128 the one where we made such fun of Dan and uh, we actually called Peter and he came on and uh, helped us out with that segment and what so, more can we say but groovy baby groovy baby yeah so, uh, so Peter sent this in for us this is Peter Johnson from the Airplane Geeks Across the Pond segment wishing all you plain crazy guys and girls down under a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I tell you what, Grant, what a great segment he does. In fact, yep. uh, we've, we've had to start picking up our production values again with Peter coming along. I know. There's nothing like a bit of a challenge, is there? And uh, we've got quite a few more to get through. And um, uh, of the greetings, there's been quite a lot of them. We'll play uh, The next one we'll play will be from David Van Hoof. That'll be in a few minutes. Well, Anthony, uh, as we alluded to earlier on, uh, you know, it's, it's been an interesting year. You and I got chatting about a year ago as we were uh, driving a train out in some obscure suburb. And uh, we got talking about uh, podcasting, as I like to do too, well... Well, anyone who'll listen. Just about bloody everyone yeah. Yeah. you speak to. And you said something about having done some work with or at the ABC, and I thought, well, we need to have you on our show. And uh, and yeah. I've, I've regretted it for every single moment afterwards. You lie through your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> you lie through your teeth. So tell us, mate, how's your year been at PCDU? It, it, look, it's been actually a very interesting year in PCDU, and I, I'd, I'd have to say that if I was to do a, a highlight and a low light. My highlight would be the interview that was done with Richard Woodward in regards to the um, Qantas A380 episode. And the only reason why I'd actually make that a highlight is that for for somebody who's got no idea about aeroplanes, doesn't understand about aviation, that was the most tightly put together interview that gave all of the information to your average person. And I learnt more from that interview than I did from every newspaper article that I read or every radio or television item that I watched. Mm-hmm. And to, to, to have somebody of his calibre on a program like PCDU, now let's be frank, you're, you're straight up. You say you're amateurs, you're stay, that you're enthusiastic amateurs, basically. But to get somebody of his calibre on... And to speak in the manner that he did was absolutely stunning. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, it was great to have him with mm. us. That made the interview for me. That's my high point. Yeah. My low point of the year, I hate to say it, it's got to be... Do I have to edit this out in post? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm merely going to say that the, whole, the, the low point for me was that Qantas started that week with their 
A380 incident and then it just went downhill from there. Yep. There was a number of incidents that occurred, none of which that they were prepared to talk about in public and you've just got to go, no, you can't do it. Yeah. You've got to be prepared to come in with the spin. Oh, here we were thinking he was going to say the low point was us. (laughs) No, No, actually, I will go one step further and I will say the high step, the high point, the, the truly high point was actually the fact that you got Richard Woodward. We were really um, privileged to be able to get someone like him. As, yeah. as you say, it, it's one of the things I talk about often, and, and you, you will have heard me bang on about this a lot, but it's one of the great things about niche marketing, podcasting offers that. We can get people in and we can tell all of our guests to talk the talk and speak the jargon because you're talking to people that understand it. You yeah. don't have to sort of make it, you know, and I hesitate to use the word dumbed down, but you don't have to make it more general for the mass media. And and that's something that the mass media is, is that's a concept they're struggling to deal with. And they're going to continue. I don't know how they're going to get around it. And let's hope they don't because it, it leaves the gap, <laughs> it leaves the door open for people like us yeah. to be able to talk. And Ben, with your segment, talking about the specifics of air traffic control, well, that's not going to get up in the mainstream media. And, and you know, most people might not be no, interested mean, in it like that. But from, from the mainstream media, I mean, people just glazed like, eyes, screensaver. Well, that's, that's right. And uh, if you go into the specifics of it, and if you ask anybody else about air traffic control, it's either we get uh, blamed for the delays, which I think has got more to do with the pilots <coughs> blaming us for their delays, but moving right along. <laughs> That's right, pilots. Be very careful when you're doing those PAs on the area frequency. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if, that was the wrong microphone. <laughs> if, you, if you blame us for delays and we hear you do the PA on the area frequency, guess what? You're going to cop some holding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the thing that I find interesting is that as, as much as I wish to, to say that I am the ignorant person in seat 22B, I have, over the last 12 months, through this podcast, learnt a damn lot. And I blame you two buggers. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You're welcome. We're responsible, damn it. You are on, on that On that note, though, but with the, the Richard Woodward interview, it's, it's good to hear that it actually went down to someone without the technical background of it because from my perspective I enjoyed that interview too but then I'm an aeroplane nerd I've been flying for 10 years I've got a, you know, a commercial ticket 400 hours you know, air traffic controllers license and everything like that so to appear that it actually went both ways is is very good too I'm, because I'm, I'm exactly the opposite I am the total layperson. I uh, know nothing literally know nothing although once again I am learning from these people but the way that that interview was uh, put forward, the questions that were asked and the answers that were given provided me with an incredible insight as a lay person that I can sit back and go, right, I understand what's actually happened. I can imagine what's going on in the cockpit. I can imagine what they've had to do to get that plane on the ground and, and appreciated every minute of it. And it was a pretty amazing job they did to get it on the ground. But yeah, and I, and I think that's also uh, it's got to be a fillip to you guys, because as amateurs, you've got somebody who's willing to speak mm. in such open terms. Well, I think, I think it's the other thing we 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 point that out to our to our guests too, particularly someone like Richard Woodward, you know, with with his massive experience. And I think I even said that the biggest thing I've ever flown is a Beechcraft Duchess. So um, yeah. I don't want him to think that I'm trying to pretend to have knowledge that I don't have. And you know, uh, funny funny enough, and I, I I've been out of out of the pilot seat for a long time and struggling to get current again. Well, I've forgotten a lot. So it's it's been great to be able to this particularly this this is the the first full year of PCDU, and uh, you know, I've been able to re engage with the industry and be able to engage on that level has been awesome. 
Definitely good fun. Okay, well, uh, let's uh, let's play David Vanderhoof's uh, Christmas greeting. He's put a lot of work into it, as he always does. And um, oh, is he singing again? He's not singing, but uh, <laughs> he obviously uh, believes in the big jolly man. Okay. Wow, I can finally sit down. It's quiet. No snow this year, but we have a pretty blinking tree and white lights and presents wrapped up. Well, no one's around. I guess, well, he sees you when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake. So, Santa, I have a Christmas wish this year. Not necessarily for me, but there's these two guys I know. Their name's Grant and Steve. They're really good guys. They're a little mischievous, but they're really good guys. They might be on your naughty list, but I doubt it. But they are really, really nice to me. And if I can put in a good word for them, I'd appreciate it. They live in Australia. I know you go there, but they really don't understand the meaning of Christmas. They don't understand that it's cold here and that there's snow on the ground. And we have evergreens that are lit and fireplaces that roar. They have barbecues, you know, and they're running around outside in their shorts because it's summer. But they are the two nicest guys I've never met. Grant keeps me in check and Steve helps me every time I need help with editing so they're really on my nice list plus they have a great group of people who listen to their podcast playing crazy down under and they do a lot of good work and they've made me part of their family so i want you to grant them a wish this year would you be so kind as to grant us a wish that maybe we can go to not necessarily the north pole but there's a place pretty close that's a real haven for airplanes and that place is called oshkosh i know you know it well so my christmas wish for Grant and Steve and selfishly for me is that we can all meet together next July in Oshkosh. Until then, look out to them, bring them some snow or some beers or I know Steve's itching for, I'm sure, a brand new microphone and Grant wants to keep ballooning. So for my Christmas wish for both of them, I wish the two guys who I love dearly a Merry Christmas and to all the plain crazy fans down there from the Northern Territories where it is winter up here, I wish you all a healthy, happy new year and a very Merry Christmas. This is David Vanderhoof, your North Pole elf. Merry Christmas. Well, I told you he believes in the big jolly man, Grant. I tell you, he does. He's, he's, I, hope, I hope he got his stocking stuffed well with lots of presents. I got to say, and we, we, you know, they're our great friends, the guys over there at the Airplane Geeks. But uh, I think the, the best friendship that I've made through all this podcasting and new media thing that we've been doing here is uh, David Vanderhoof. He's a yep. genuinely one hundred percent great guy and a great friend. And uh, even though we don't hear him on his, uh, we don't get too many history segments out of him these days because he's been very busy with uh, with his day job. And of course, he's producing his own podcast as well. Yep. Um, he still does supply us with a lot of uh, additional information behind the scenes and works very hard for us. And uh, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I've actually shipped my smashed to pieces model aircraft. Oh, it's across gone. Okay, it's, it's over there being repaired as we speak. So uh, awesome. Yeah. So uh, it's a very well travelled model aircraft. Yeah. No, we uh, we love having David on the program. And uh, for those of you who don't listen to Airplane Geeks, I mean, uh, you know, shame you should. Yeah. Duh. Uh, but David uh, is the official Airplane Geeks historian, and uh, and he's got a particular um, knowledge of uh, military aviation. So um, yeah. Hhg2ma.blogspot.com for the Hitchhiker's Guide to Military Aviation. Uh, I think ever for that'll be coming out in the next few weeks so thanks very much for that David and uh, you know um, we better push on with the show and I think I hear somebody coming down the street oh no it's Postman Pat
He's working on a public holiday. He works at midnight. He works 2 a.m. He's, he's very dedicated. Yes, Ben. Some of us have to work on public holidays. <coughs> yes. Steve's <laughs> going off Working to tomorrow. <laughs> I don't. Listener mail. We've had a little bit of listener mail since the last episode because it hasn't been that long since we brought the last one out and we no. did have a stack of it the last time. But actually, Grant, we've got some uh, some audio feedback. Yay! Our friend up there in uh, in Canada, Ian Kershaw, he sent some uh, audio feedback into the Airplane Geeks for episode 127 or 128, I believe it was. Yep. And uh, he was kind enough to send some for us. Cool. Good afternoon, Grant and Steve. This is Ian Kershaw at Calgary International Airport, YYC. It's Thursday lunchtime, 12.45, minus 15 Celsius. Uh, one advantage is no heat haze when you take pictures in this weather. Thoroughly enjoyed uh, episode 49, um, especially the interview with Rosemary. What an inspiration. It was a delight. In fact, so good. Listening to it while I went to work, as I was driving, I actually parked up and uh, got in a little late because I just wanted to finish listening to her contribution. Uh, Another long and absolutely first-class podcast. Length doesn't always mean quality, but um, you guys are following the tradition set by... um, Airplane Geeks, first-class podcast. Calgary's a little bit quiet, um, most regular commercial, although we have uh, got right in now a Sikorsky S61 um, transiting through. Yesterday there was a Royal Canadian Forces Aurora. And right now I'm looking at a, a Petro Air Petro um, Twin Otter from Libya that's outside Viking. Um, I'll bet they wish they were back where it was a wee bit warmer. Just wanted to know, absolutely first-class show once again. I wish you well for number 50. This is Ian Kershaw in Calgary, Alberta. YYCE3.ca slash WordPress. Have a great week, and I look forward to number 50. Take care. Bye now. Well, thanks very much for taking the time to do that, Ian. Uh, we really appreciate it, and uh, for your kind words. And uh, Grandy's offered to uh, help us with some uh, work on doing some surveys too. Which oh, is, cool. Uh, yeah, we need that because yeah. the uh, the survey company we've been using is not that good. Yeah, no. We've, we shall not mention their name. No, no. We're about to switch over and try somebody else, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, great great stuff, Ian. And, uh, gee whiz, Grant, minus 15. You can have that, mate. I know, I know. Anthony, when, he, when you said minus 15, Anthony was over in the corner going, <laughs> and frozen on the spot. Yeah. The other one I was thinking of is... A twin otter from Libya. Yeah. That's a long way and a slow plane. He must be he must be auditioning for the next uh, next series of ice pilots. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, and the uh, the other the other email I've got here, Grant, uh, is uh, from Ahmet Hussein. Uh, he sent one in uh, regarding episode forty seven. Uh, that was that was the uh, the last of the Red Bull uh, wrap ups that we did. Said uh, hi guys, just finished uh, listening to episode forty seven. Bull me, uh, and along with Turb in your forum, I also enjoyed the interview with Juan. That'd be uh, Juan Serrano. Correct, John John Travolta's chief pilot. Uh, he says he thinks we're doing a wonderful job and thoroughly enjoy listening to the podcast. Well, thank you very much for saying, mate. Yeah. And uh, Grant, uh, he's looking for some information on a uh, DVD set of a uh, TV series that I must admit I've not heard of. That's right. It's the TV series Big Sky. And um, yeah, he's apparently a few emails led him to Channel 10. Uh, sorry, he sent a few emails to Channel 10, but they led him nowhere. And uh yeah, he, used to, he said he used to finish work at midnight six or so years ago. He'd come home, watch a few episodes that were on Foxtel on the Hallmark Channel late at night before going to sleep. And uh, that inspired him to go out and uh, learn to fly. So sounds like it's an interesting series. So if anyone out there has any knowledge of Big Sky that apparently uh, was on, the, uh, on Foxtel on the Hallmark Channel. So if anyone knows anything about that, by all means, please do either drop us a line or put it on the forum and uh, we can all try madly to find it. Yeah, any of you guys ever heard of that one? I was going to say, I've watched it, I've seen it, 
but I don't know where to get it. It was originally on Channel 10 back, back in the uh, the late 90s, I believe it so was. So it was an Australian show? It, it was quality Australian drama. Oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was <laughs> f- focused on a, on a GA company that uh, flew chieftains out of uh, Sydney International. Wow, that was a long time ago when you could get a chieftain out of Sydney International. <laughs> oh, oh, the, the, the realism was, yes, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Actually, the, I was just thinking I have a, a work colleague that runs a website that deals with uh, with um, classic Australian TV shows, so um, I'll get in contact with him, actually, just while I'm thinking of it there, yeah. Amit, and uh, I'll, um, I'll uh, let you know by email uh, how we go. We'll have to see what it, we can do. It, it was a classic old show, and anyone who remembers that show, yes, uh, Jimbo James, the only bloke who could show up in an untucked pilot shirt and jeans to work. He was my hero. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'll, I'll have a look. There's a couple of sites. I know there's a site out there where you can watch goodies episodes and things like that, for, especially good for the ones that aren't on DVD yet. So I'll have a look and see if they've got Big Sky on there as well. Yeah, okay. And uh, just one other one here, Grant, that I mentioned from uh, Jay Swanpole, and a uh, great Dutch name there. I hope my rather limited Dutch skills did uh, did uh, justice to it. But uh, he sent us a, some feedback here on the Facebook side, actually, saying, excellent podcast, guys. Always interest, interesting and informative to listen to and uh, always something to laugh about. Well, <laughs> if you're watching this in a live stream, you'll be having a great laugh, I can tell you. Yeah, alcohol helps. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's certainly working on this end. He says the mixture just right. He said he's heard our parts in the Airplane Geeks podcast and uh, decided to check out your podcast and he He's really impressed. Thanks and keep it up. And Grant, I think you replied there. As I was saying to Jay on, on Facebook, look, it's it's the comments like his that really give us the energy to keep going and, and doing the crazy things we do, the late night recordings, the, the long edit sessions, uh, trying to keep the website sorted out, running around the place to get uh, interviews and so on. It's comments like that from Jay that really work, uh, make, mm. help energize us and let us know that there are people out there who listen to us and enjoy it okay so grant so that moves us on to shout outs now of course it's our 50th episode it is the end of the year we've got a lot of people to thank for a lot of good things that have happened uh, grant our audience has grown uh, significantly this year we're not going to talk figures uh, but uh, you can uh, check that out on our uh, on our uh, website if you like we've certainly had a quite some considerable growth in our audience this year which is uh, you know a bit, a bit of vindication for the hard work that we put into the show yep that too helps and uh, that's in no small part to the really the high quality of guests that we get on the show. And we'd like to thank everybody that's been on the show. Probably too numerous to mention, but uh, just a few of them would be all the Red Bull crew, uh, Matt Hall, David Lyle, who's the operations manager there at Matt Hall Racing. We've had great access to Matt this year. He's been wonderful giving us some really high quality technical yep. commentary on uh, what's been a pretty eventful year for him. Uh, and also uh, Nigel Lamb, Hannah Sark, Hannah Sark. and Pete McLeod. Thanks also to Pete McLeod and his team for uh, sending out their thanks Christmas uh, Christmas <coughs> messages with the funky Santa sleigh going through the Red Bull Air Race course. That was uh, rather amusing to see. Uh, Grant, I'd also like to uh, thank Andrea Samet over there at Scripts and Voices who does our, uh, our advertising from us. Now, we've picked up a couple of advertisers this year, which we're very appreciative of, and we'll get to them in a minute. But uh, Andrea, even if we haven't been able to, um, to have her do the ad, um, and she's done the Flight City one, for us, mm-hmm. uh, but she's been wonderful in uh, giving advice on how to do these ads. And uh, between her and Anthony, who does a huge amount of uh, work in the background, helping us with all this sort of stuff, uh, it's helping us to generate, get get some advertisers and generate the revenue. For instance, uh, Grant and I recently went up to the RAF base at Amberley to record the content for what will be the uh, next episode of Playing Crazy Down Under, and uh, that certainly wouldn't have happened without uh, being able to cover our costs like that. It's yeah. not cheap. No, indeed. And uh, between the little bit of money we've made from a couple of advertisers that helped pay for that and also for me to shoot up and spend the afternoon with uh, Rosemary Arnold at her book launch and meet some great people and record a couple of uh, interviews up there and uh, make a contact that could lead to a pretty interesting uh, interview in the new year. 
And, of course, this show is about aviation, but on a personal level for me, it's also about, you know, what I sort of loosely term the podcast journey. I mean, you know, uh, I have no experience in radio. I've always wanted to have a go at it, but um, it, it's interesting to, uh, you know, mix with people in the in the podcast world who are, you know, working right at the very top level. And uh, somebody I really wanted to thank this year is, uh, and I think I did it last year too, but I, more so this year is uh, Dane Golden at hey.com. He was, uh, up until recently, uh, the head guy over there at Leo Laporte's uh, Twit Network this week in tech. Uh, he's now uh, not working there anymore. He's uh, gone out on his own. He's looking for new challenges, but he's had me on his show a couple of times as his quote-unquote aviation expert, which is in a way pretty scary ah! in itself. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Dane's a, he's a great guy, and I really appreciate the, the help that uh, that you've given me this year, Dane. So uh, a huge thanks for that, and I certainly look forward to catching up with you in the new year. We'd, uh, we'd also like to give a big shout-out to James Williams and Dave Gray. Uh, they've been helping to promote our show on Podcasters Emporium, the Lifestyle Network. They've also been promoted recently by iTunes as a premium provider. Woohoo! That's great news, guys. That is awesome, man. The Lifestyle Pod Network, is, it's um, a wonderful network of various and sundry different podcasters who um, sort of operate as a collective, I think, and, and operate into that network. Lots of different subjects are covered, too, in it. Um, you know, there's everything. There's a lot of uh, lifestyle, as, as the name would suggest. There's a lot of uh, uh, health and well-being type podcasts, I guess would be the best way to put that. And then they've got a few tech ones as well. Uh, two Schooners, which is uh, pretty funny. Uh, those two guys uh, just sitting there and uh, chatting about the world as they see it. <laughs> we ought to do something like that. Through beer goggles, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, if, if we do something like that, it's probably going to get us in trouble. Yeah, but you've heard the you've heard the ads there that we run occasionally for uh, podcasters in Borium, and there's actually one thing that we've picked up from them that we think is a really great way to promote podcasts is to um, have a downloadable MP3 file of your promo on the site. So here, guys, grab it. That's what we did. Yep. And, um, you know, I certainly hope that we can uh, catch up with them in the new year and, and perhaps uh, – uh, have a bit of voice chat. There's a lot of chatter going backwards and forwards on Twitter with these guys, but I really love what they're doing. And obviously, um, you talk about hard work, Grant. You know, yeah, James and Dave are putting it in there, and to be accepted as a like a premium content provider on iTunes, I mean, that's something that uh, we here at PCDU could only dream of. Indeed. Indeed. We're, we're just lucky to be a content provider. Yeah. <laughs> now, we talked earlier, Grant, about all our advertisers, uh, Flight City, Flight Experience, uh, Matt Hall Racing, everybody that's um, seen fit to come and be uh, an advertiser on our little program. We uh, just wanted to have a shout-out to all you guys. Thanks for all your support during the year, and we look forward to it in the new year as well. Indeed. No, it's been great. Uh, we appreciate everyone for uh, either giving us some in-kind tr- contribution or those who have actually paid us for what they've done. It's been great. That has definitely helped us go and get more content. So very much a big thanks to all our advertisers. Yeah, and that would include, uh, of course, um, David Hook over in Texas from Plain Hook Aviation Services, Grant. And the reason I mention him is it brings us to our next shout-out, which is uh, Milford and Charlie at Flight Time Radio. And uh, I'm still just blown away, Grant, that they uh, approached us and asked us to produce a segment for them. And um, David Hook from Plain Hook has uh, been kind enough to sponsor that segment for us. Yeah, that's been great. So, uh, again, that was part of, the, part of the money that we received from his sponsor of our, our work producing uh, Flying Down Under for Flight Time Radio uh, has allowed us to go to Amberley and also uh, the last bit of it went to, towards me zapping up on Tiger Airways to Sydney for the day. Tiger Airways. Yeah, I, well, you know, <laughs> we, had sp- we had spent a bit of money getting up to Amberley. There was only just enough left in the kitty to send me up to Sydney. But, uh, yeah, Milford and Charlie, big thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, it's great to be further south than you folks. Uh, they, everyone jokes that they're the southern boys of the, of the uh, aviation world. Well, not anymore. <laughs> we're way down here in the south. But, yeah, uh, I still wonder if they can understand everything we're saying, but they seem to be enjoying what we're doing. So, uh, yeah, yeah, once again, in Milford.
Stafford and Jally, and uh, we really appreciate that, guys. And they were kind enough to send us through a greeting that you heard in the ad break there. Yep. And uh, funny guys, a great show. Actually, it reminds me listening to them of my days living in Arkansas, actually. You know, those guys <laughs> are based in Jacksonville, Florida. But Cool. Yeah. No, that was good. And uh, definitely thanks to David Hook and um, Plane Hook Aviation Services for sponsoring us there. Yep. And uh, one more for me, Grant, is, of course, our great friends at the Airplane Geeks podcast, Max Flight, Rob Mark. You know that old bloke, Rob Mark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wrinkle and the young bloke, yeah. Dan Webb, and, of course, David Vanderhoof and Peter Johnson, uh, our great friends, as we mentioned earlier. Um, you know, really, we have such a great time working with those guys. Well, you know, we've done 28 uh, editions of Plane Crazy Down Under in 2010, but we've done about 50 one, I think, or 50 or 51 Australian yeah. news discs. I don't think we've missed one this year. I think we missed one or two last year. But uh, Yeah, no, we've, we've pumped, pumped them out, and uh, we're glad to hear that everyone enjoyed the uh, themed versions. We'll uh, see what we can do to keep the themes happening in the new year. Yeah, there's only so many th- nights I can sit up till three in the morning producing them. <laughs> well, we may just have to start planning earlier and do it over two or three days. I mean, you know, that, that could be a logical thing. Thanks to everyone who's been listening, commenting on uh, the forums, who's been posting emails into us, and uh, also especially to those who uh, did decide to to uh, shell out a few bucks here and there to help sponsor us uh, with the uh, donate button. Uh, that was all very much appreciated and, uh, yeah, especially in these trying financial times. So thanks to everyone out there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think uh, chief amongst the, those two will be our anonymous donor from Canberra. We'd really like to identify him. We, yeah, no, he doesn't no, want he doesn't, us to, so no. we respect that. And, of course, our friend uh, Turb Coriolis. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and his mate Robert E. Coli. Yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're both doing really good stuff for us and I love the cartoons that are coming down the pike. I was going to say, I was going to thank Turb actually as well for uh, all the the questions yeah. that he sends me. Um, it's actually good to have a dialogue with somebody like that uh, being, you know, uh, our main, without identifying who he is and who he works for, but uh, our main, one of our main customers at work uh, going around the sky there in his jet and uh, to have somebody like that who gives us, gives me a source of questions. And, yeah, and of course, it's and, not only Turb that's sending him in either, is it, uh, Ben? But, uh, no, no, that's, that's right. But if people like that pot, we get. I've got uh, GA pilots as well that have got a few questions as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, which just guides it because I mean, as far as I'm concerned, guys, unfortunately, you're all just green circles on the screen to me. So, <laughs> hey, come on. Yeah, the only reason you can it's see me is because I got a transponder. I, I, I don't. I don't want to sound impersonal, but. Yeah. So I think that just about wraps it up. The only other thank you, of course, I wanted to say is to all you guys. Uh, to Ben, we really appreciate the the huge work that you've put in for the show, and we we're glad that you've uh, you know seen time in your busy schedule to come and contribute to the show. Uh, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show, mate, and uh, particularly making the big trek out here from the other side of Melbourne. That was awesome today. So hope that you was, enjoyed the hospitality. It was it was a good adventure. So uh, <laughs> you've actually actually been in the leafy suburbs as opposed to me you know, next to the uh, next to the train line there and. Uh, yeah, we're, we're at my house there, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's been been good uh, good to actually have the podcast there as an outlet. So yeah, cool. Yeah, try and uh, we hope answer the questions yeah, that the public have. Yeah, and we hope through that segment it fosters a greater understanding between people working on both sides of the fence in the aviation game. So and selfish. Last shout out is a shameless self promotion to myself. <laughs> I, I got my Bathurst Dubbo ratings. Oh, that's right. After you did after too. after a long hard slog, but uh, look out, well, I'm dangerous in two more sectors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two more parts of Australian airspace are under control by Ben. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and of course to you Anthony uh, you know Anthony you're always very humble about the sort of work you do for the podcast here but uh, the view from the lounge is one thing but uh, people don't see behind the scenes the huge amount of work that Anthony does for us uh, writing copy suggesting segments you do a huge amount of work and I know you don't think you do mate but uh, really seriously um, my heartfelt thanks for all the help you've given us at the podcast this year and uh, uh, you're not going anywhere in fact we're not letting you off the hook I know where you live and we're going to get you back in 2011 <laughs> just when you thought it was safe oh, I'm terribly sorry ladies and gentlemen I 
will be back next year, and you're going to have to put up with. Hi, I'm Anthony Sims. <laughs> oh dear. On that note, I think that just about uh, wraps it up for uh, 2010. We're going to take a few weeks break while we uh, get episode 51 together. There's a lot of work uh, involved in uh, putting that one together. So uh, most importantly, amongst all our thanks, we really want to thank uh, the audience to all of you listeners. We wouldn't wouldn't be any point in us doing this podcast if we didn't have our audience. Uh, it's it's a humbling thing that you would spend so much of your time each week uh, listening to our program. We really do appreciate it. Uh, we'll be coming back in uh, 2011. There's probably going to be a couple of minor format changes that we're thinking about doing. Not too much. Possibly uh, another contributor coming to the show. We haven't locked that in yet, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's some exciting things happening in 2011. We're really looking forward to it. So I guess there's much more to say except for uh, as you're uh, digesting your Christmas lunch and uh, nursing your sore heads over the New Year break, just remember this. It's what's down under that counts, folks. You've been listening to Playing Crazy Down Under, hosted by Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel, and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website www.playingcrazydownunder.com or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at plaincrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It 5 by Brian Simpson. This has been a Southern Skies online media podcast. The kind folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. We were certainly made aware of it this year. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a photographer's phone. <laughs> There's an outtake. Yeah, that, that is an outtake. <laughs> Yeah, there was the uh, Virgin Blue making more money by flying people than Qantas made by flying people. Uh, Qantas had a bigger... um, By the way, that's your tablet going... So hopefully that's not going through into the microphones. No, it's all right. if you do, if you are hearing any bzz, bzz, that's Steve's new toy, his latest tablet. Yes, this is the this is the droid you've been looking for. <laughs> no, I don't know; it's a bit big to fit in my pocket, but uh, for hanging around home, could be fun. Yeah, but, I've seen you with Android phones; you'd find a way. Yeah, <laughs> I just get a bigger pocket. Yes, <laughs> but yeah. the floor is yours, my friend. I'll try and cut it down because it, now that I'm seeing it printed out, it it wasn't quite that long that I remember it. <laughs> well, no excuses now. <laughs> that, that's right.
Getting at is all, all that stuff from Anthony and all the outtakes. All the outtakes that have been lost forever, except on the Ustream. No, I, I only like giving David Vanderhoof a complex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was some great stuff. Poor David, he'll never speak oh, to me again. I'm saved. I'm <laughs> saved. I am saved. Yeah, you've got so many complexes that we're setting up a high rise apartment, right? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> okay, so. As Steve types madly on the keyboard into the Ustream feed to all three people who are watching, is it how many watching? Well, you got 24. 24? You're joking. 24? Yeah. We oh, thought it was bad enough when there were 14 that didn't want to watch the cricket. Oh, sorry, the it, name that we're not, the, the game we're not allowed the, to mention. That English game. Yes. Well, you know, yeah, we're not talking about it. No, I think we've had 24. I think we've currently got three. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so much better now. My performance anxiety is reducing. Yes, what, what, what a relief. Yes. And, and hello to our fans, all three of yes. <laughs> That's the ones that we had to pay. Yes. Hi, Mum. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry, but I have to ask the question. What in God's name are you talking about? I'm talking about aviation. Uh, I don't know whether you'd picked it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's flying stuff. stuff. There, yeah, there's, it's, there's an outtake. <laughs>